World's Finest Podcast, Episode 23. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Hello, sir. How are you? You sound a bit exhausted, if you don't mind me saying. Imagine that. <laughs> oh man, I am. I'm the morning guy at the at the at the old work place now, and uh, they're actually promoting me pretty soon. I'm going to be an administrative coordinator, which means that I get to be there even earlier. Ah, uh, but do you get more pay? That's the question. I damn well better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. I'll be doing payroll and stuff like that now, which means I'll have to be there at like 5 in the morning on a Saturday. Ah, that sucks. <laughs> oh, but that's that's life as they say, yeah? <laughs> yeah, that that's what I hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, how was your vacation? It was very good. Um, Jen got sick at the end of it. Oh, that um, sucks. It does, it does. But, you know, she was a trooper, and uh, we, uh, you know, we continued going to the to the you know, the Disney World theme parks for, let's see, she, I'm trying to think, okay, this is what happened on Tuesday. Um, it started raining and, you know, in Florida, the rain's weird. It'll rain for like 20 minutes and then it'll stop and it'll be a bright sunny day, you know? Oh yeah. And sometimes during that 20 minutes, the rain's really soft and then it gets really hard and it's soft again. Well, this evening, this Tuesday evening, the the it was like that. It was you know light rain and then a very hard rain. The winds were like fifteen to twenty five miles an hour, so they're blowing all over the place. But it lasted for a good long time. This rain did. It wasn't just one of those short little short little bursts. Well, you know we don't mind being out in the rain. I mean it's it's rain. Oh oh big deal. You get wet, right? The problem mm-hmm. is is it was freezing rain. I mean, it was ice cold, and we were standing underneath a bus stop waiting to go back to our hotel. This was at Epcot Center, and um, we had to wait for 40 minutes for a bus to come. Normally, these buses, they say they run about every 20 minutes, but they're usually there like every 7 to 10 minutes. So the fact that we had to wait 40 minutes was just asinine, and it's not like it was like 2 in the morning. I mean, we're talking maybe... 7 30 8 o'clock at night if even that late that we were trying to get back to our hotel so we're under this bus shelter so we're not you know we're not being rained on directly but the wind's blowing it in towards us so i'm standing in front of jen trying to block the rain from hitting her but there's still these cold blasts of air that Mm -hmm. we're getting at her well we eventually get back home we take our clothes off we dry off and you know the next morning she woke up with a sore throat and, you know, she, she, you know, and it wasn't just a sore throat. I mean, there was, she was feeling worse than that too, but that was the thing that was really killing her. And then on Thursday when she woke up, she was even worse. Um, it moved out of her throat and her chest and all the way up into her head. Um, but like I said, you know, she was a trooper and, you know, he made the most of Wednesday and Thursday. And, uh, cause those were our last two days because Friday was the day we were flying home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but yeah, so besides her getting sick, um, yeah, it was a real great time. I mean, I love Disney World so much. I could easily go twice a year. Um, sadly, I can't afford that. I can barely afford to go every other year. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was good to get away from everything, to get away from uh, Earth2.net, 
to get away from Earth at the show from World's Finest. You know, no, you know, no offense, but it's you know, it's it's nice to step away and actually have a vacation once in a while. Amen um, to that. Yeah, I haven't had. A, I don't think I've had a vacation. I don't know, two years. <laughs> see, that sucks. I I was getting so burnt out with work. And I don't want to say burnt out on Earth, too. It was more I was getting burnt out with my, you know, the job that actually pays me. So that was sort of putting, because I was stressed about that, I was getting stressed about Earth2.net. And I don't want to be stressed about Earth2. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, taking this vacation made me not worry about work. So it took some of the stress away from Earth2. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to... Well, not necessarily getting back to work work, but getting back to work on Earth 2 this week. And, of course, recording this episode as part of that. So, <laughs> Well, we're glad to have you back. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, uh, you know, you did, a, you did a good job keeping the forum up and running while I was gone. Well, thank, thank Des mostly for that. I mean, he did most of the work, right? Well, he kept, the, he kept the main page up and running, but, you know, you two shared the duty in keeping the forums uh, running smoothly. So... Glad to be of service. Yeah, it, it didn't look like any major troubles happened, so, you know. Uh, but anyway, should we uh, get into some emails here? Yeah, and my God, do we have a lot. We do. You know what? I want to say one thing before we get into the emails. Just one thing real quick, okay? And this is about iTunes. If you guys um, are downloading World's Finest Podcast through iTunes and you're liking what we're doing, what I want you to do is write us a positive review. The other day I checked, and we had five reviews, two of which were rather negative. Now, I can take negative reviews. That's fine. But it brings our star rating down on iTunes. You know, it's, it's a five-star system. And we were down to three and a half. And I like to think World's Finest Podcast is better than a three and a half. I'm not going to claim we're a five, but I'd like to think we're a four, four and a half. <laughs> so... You know, I put a call out at the Earth2 forums, or the, excuse me, the Earth2.net forums, and said, hey, you know, you know, go leave us feedback if, if you don't mind. And a lot of, you know, a couple people chimed in. Um, I think uh, right now we're up to like eight reviews from five up to eight, and it's bumped our rating up, I think, back up to a four. But I want more. I want more positive reviews. I'm greedy in that way. So, yeah, you know, all you people who write in, all you people who are downloading this show through iTunes, just doesn't have to be a long-winded review, just a quick little thing, letting people know what we're about, what you like about the show, and and rate us whatever you want, preferably something over a three. And uh, <laughs> we'd, we'd greatly appreciate that, because the more reviews we get, the higher the star rating is, the more people that are going to be inclined to download the show. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now on to emails. <laughs> okay, let's see. Our first one today is from Chris. Aloha, guys. Thought I'd take a stab at the review of The Batman Season 5, Episode 9, Attack of the Terrible Trio. (laughs) Of course, from the outset, I had the theme song from that B-movie, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, in my head, because it fit the title. It starts on a beach where a bunch of college-age kids are having a party. One of them is in the water where a man shark swims up. She realizes that it's not a costume and somehow managed to outswim the shark man to shore, where an anthropoid vulture and fox run around acting tough but doing zero harm to anyone, before the kids all run away. Batman and Batgirl then accost Kirk Langstrom, who's reading a paper called the Night Times, spelled K-N-I-G-H-T. He swears that he had nothing to do with the incident, but admits that someone may have broken into his computer system and stolen his data. 
Well, at least he didn't post a video of how to become a man-bat or she-bat on YouTube. <laughs> Batman drops Batgirl off at Gotham University, where she attends. That evening, three friends, a beefy guy with a broad mouth, a lanky girl, and a sharp-faced, red-haired guy are seen. But you don't have the time to wonder if the physical resemblances are coincidence, <laughs> because they're obviously the trio from their conversation. The, red ki- the redhead can't get into his room, because his jock roommate is having a party. And who should observe this and stand up for him but Barbara Gordon. The roommate, obviously, is the next victim. During the fight, he gets hit with a patch that turns him into an anthropomorphic gorilla. He's subdued by Batman and Batgirl and reverts to human. Because of this, the dean vows to screen every student for mutagenic mutagenic compounds. (laughs) To keep from getting busted, the trio decide to sit off an aerosolized form of their formula during the big football game so that everyone tests positive. (laughs) (laughs) My head hurts already. I watched this episode. and I I haven't seen it, so... Batman and Batgirl... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's bad, that's all. Yeah. Batman and Batgirl get an inhaler, of course, only one unit, from Langstrom, and use this on Vulture Girl and Shark Boy. Batman takes out the timer on the vat of mutagen with a batarang, and Fox Boy gets doused in the formula, causing him to take on the attributes of multiple animals and actually turning into a griffin-like creature. That he part flies- was actually kind of cool um, uh, in, in that episode. it was I didn't expect that to happen, and when it did, I was like, hey, that's kind of neat. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, he flies around, Batman swings him into a wall, bad guys go to jail. Well, none of that Delta Brothers nonsense in this version. I should say that I won't comment on the animation for two reasons. First, we don't get the CW in Hawaii, so I watched this online, and who knows how much the picture suffered. Second, I suck at noticing quality of animation. James, in particular, often makes intelligent comments. Mine would be more of the level of, ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I noticed was that no one no one with a bat on their, che- uh, on their chest is on screen much. Batman barely does anything other than fight. Batgirl does a bit more snooping, but mostly this is detective work on the level of a big smoking hole. Could be a clue. There will be several Batman Beyond quotes here. Of course, stealing the data from Langstrom's computer explains how a couple of college kids master genetic engineering. They just followed the recipe. But I still wonder how they develop both transdermal through the skin and aerosol delivery mechanisms. When they're chasing the jock-turned-gorilla, Batgirl makes a comment about calling the Justice League. Batman comments that if he called them for a gorilla, they'd probably throw him out. <laughs> That's the problem here in a nutshell. Ge- geeks get pushed around, get some power and push the popular kids back, and as I said, they really do no significant harm. This is Supernatural Teenage Series Plot Number 1. Replace the Man-Bat formula with Meteor Rocks, and this could be Smallville. Or use the energies of the Hellmouth, and you've got early seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's not really a Batman thing. Again, using a Batman quote. But this thing, I don't know. It just feels so... high school. Must have been a slow week in Gotham. These villains seem like the kind of punks that Batman wouldn't have wasted a second punch on back in the day. But we are back in the day! Actually, the series started during year three of his life as Batman, and this is the fifth season. He's been doing this for eight years, and we're getting that close to that level of experience during BTAS. The reason I'm using so many Batman Beyond quotes is that this episode, particularly the ending where the villain gets spliced with multiple animals, is very suggestive of the season two premiere Splicers. However, given that Batman is still in high school and in Batman Beyond, it fits much better in that series, and while I enjoyed the Batman, I thought that Splicers was by far the better episode. It fits with the series and there were fewer plot holes, and it was well-written and acted enough that I don't think I would have noticed many anyways. I really think that that's the only incarnation of Batman who could pull off this plot. Of course, from a social as- aspect, there are parallels that you can draw, outcasts slash out, but with the genetic engineering instead of guns. You guys have talked a lot about illusions for violent crime, abuse, and that seems to slip past the censors. I'm sure some of it 
is just a cartoon, but I would also guess that a lot of illusions are picked up by censors, and they figure that anyone sophisticated enough to interpret the reference is sophisticated enough to deal with seeing it on TV. Anyway, there's my two cents. Use it if you like. If someone writes a better review, I'll look forward to hearing it on the next episode. If there's a few points I made that you like, but don't want to read them in full review, you're more than welcome to use any parts you like. <laughs> but as long as you don't pick out any keywords to spell satanic messages that you attribute to me. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I just want to comment, even though the episode was, you know, below average, we'll say, and, you know, I did call it bad earlier. Mm-hmm. I still think it was better than the original terrible trio from Batman the Animated Series. Doesn't I that mean, kind of go without saying? It pretty much does. I mean, it does. Um, it would have to have been static on screen for 30 minutes for it to have been worse, and I'm not even sure if it would be worse in, in, in that uh, way. But I, I thought it was an interesting con- you know, uh, uh, concept in that you know, it was three college kids um, that were kind of losers, and it wasn't these three rich, bored prep guys. Um you know, they were doing it for different reasons. You know, it was it was a different take, and I appreciate what they were trying to do, but yeah, there were some problems with it. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic of um, The Batman, um, I want to read a little bit of news that I received in my inbox while I was out. This is uh, officially from Warner Brothers. Uh, multiple Emmy Award winner The Batman closes its fifth and final season with a full-hour movie entitled Lost Heroes at 11 a.m. Eastern slash Pacific Time. I believe this is going to air on, I'm trying to look at the date here, uh, March 8th. That's a Saturday. Um, I'll continue reading this. In a special TV movie, the most powerful members of the Justice League are abducted one by one. Batman, Robin, and Green Arrow discover the mystery surrounding their disappearance. The joining has returned with some earthly villainous assistance and has transferred the Justice League's powers into alien androids. It's up to Batman, Robin, and Green Arrow to help their Justice League friends regain their powers and prevent an alien invasion. This one-hour special includes appearances by Green Lantern, Hawkman, The Flash, Superman, Green Arrow, Toyman, Mirror Master, Dr. Hugo Strange, and The Joining. The film is written by Stan Burkowski and Alan Van Dyne and directed by John Fang and Vinton Hyuk, I think is how it's pronounced. So there you go. That was a bit of a shocker to me that the Batman is actually ending. I... I, I, out of nowhere. I, I, it really did for me. I, because uh, what was it? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, oh, maybe a month or two back, they had that episode called "The End," and in the press release, it said something like, "Oh, don't worry, the Batman isn't ending." And then a few episodes later, it ends. <laughs> so the only thing I can think of, and this isn't from Warner Brothers, this is just me speculating, is that maybe they're going to spin it out into their own the Batman themed Justice League cartoon because they've been introducing a lot of heroes as you just heard in that press release so that might be interesting seeing a new take on the justice league on tv yeah i want i want a justice league cartoon yeah (laughs) yeah i prefer the uh, dcau to to return uh, Mm -hmm. with justice league but i you know that'll never happen unfortunately cry yeah uh it is kind of weird though i mean it's just god it was out of nowhere yeah i mean i i thought they could have got a couple more seasons out of it especially absolutely introducing everybody but oh well you know, yeah. they'll do something. There'll be something new. I can almost guarantee that. Mm-hmm. Okay, our next email is from Dave, who writes, I just listened to episode five of World's Finest Podcast, where you were reviewing Dreams in Darkness. I had a question. How do you figure 
anybody will be able to figure out who Batman is with a blood sample. They could find they could find out his blood type. They could run a genetic test, but unless they had a sample of Bruce's blood to compare it to, they're not going to have the ability to find out who Bats is. Why would you think that Bats' identity would be compromised by a blood sample? Anyway, great episode of the podcast. Keep up the good work. Um, I think this question is answered in the Justice League episode epilogue. Uh-huh. You know, they, Cad, Project Cadmus can pretty much find out who he is based on that. Yeah, I think when we said anybody, I mean, that was so long ago, I don't remember if it was me or if it was you, James, I think we were specifically referring to someone that was powerful, like a Lex Luthor, like a Cadmus, like a Starlabs, not your normal schlub on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where someone writes in and says, no, you actually said any schlub on the street, you know? And then I just go, doh. <laughs> but, yeah, we were referring to that. You know, it was someone someone that was powerful, you know, some scientific group that had ulterior motives. If they could get his blood, you know, they could very easily run it against any, you know, blood banks in America. And if Bruce Wayne donated... There you go. Now you know who Batman is. So I think I would that's have to what trying to say. I would have to think that Bruce Wayne has, just right. because he, he is such a uh, a pillar of the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's all we're saying. Okay. Our next one is from Mindy, who writes, Hey, Mark and James. <laughs> there, now I've screwed up both of your names. Balance has once again res- been restored to the universe. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Okay, this email is somewhat of a delayed response. I... I am apologize. <laughs> the world has thrown me for a loop lately. Yeah, you guys ever feel bad about what's been going on in your lives? Ask me about how my year's been thus far. You'll feel a whole lot better about yourself. Mm. I hope not. I really hope that's not true. Mm. Um, when Heath Ledger died, you guys speculated as to what that meant for the fate of the Joker in the new Batman movie franchise. Am I the only one who thinks not recasting the Joker is an absolutely horrible idea? True, all of this is blind speculation, considering the movie hasn't even come out yet. But the thought of leaving the Joker in a dark corner in Arkham to rot and decay, only mentioned in passing, is cringeworthy at best. Granted, I am looking at this from a standpoint of an actress, so I probably see characters differently than a good chunk of other people. The job of an actor is to take an abstract idea and make them into a real, living, breathing person. There is such an honor in that, being allowed to become someone else and tell their story, and because of that, there is such a responsibility to, to do right by the people we portray. Unless an actor is insanely self-centered and egotistical, and yes, there are plenty of those, I doubt one would really want their characters to die with them, and that is what you're suggesting should happen. Because one of the actors who portrayed the Joker died, you want him to be locked away, never to be seen again, never to have his stories told, impotent and alone in a corner, wearing his straitjacket till the end of days. What a desolate and dismal fate for Batman's greatest adversary. It's worse than having him killed in a blaze of glory battling the Dark Knight. I understand wanting to honor the dead. It is noble, and it is human. But in doing so, you're betraying the life of the Joker. Following that logic, Barbara Gordon never should have been voiced after Sub-Zero because Mary Kay Bergman committed suicide. I guess what I'm getting at is, in a sense, the life of a character is greater than the person who plays them. And for a character like the Joker, it's even more important that their story continues into the future. The heroes of our comic books, Batman, Superman, X-Men, whatever, they're all tall. They're our tall tales, our Paul Bunyans, our Zeuses and Thors. They are the archetypes that archaeologists will study and try to figure out who we were as people. Except for the uber-geeks like us, these archetypes will be expressed to the populace through these movies. Whoever portrays them is a custodian of our modern folklore. Should that folklore be extinguished because a single man proved himself to be mortal? Okay, I suppose I'll get off my soapbox now. Mindy. I think Mindy makes some very excellent points here. Um, 
she's looking at it from an angle you and I could never have looking looked at it from. I think. Um, well, well, I did act. I, 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 I did act. Say, for yeah, that's what I was, I was kind of hesitating there for a second. I was like, wait, yeah, you did act for a while. Um, but regardless, I, I, I think she is coming from uh, a very different place than, at the very least, I am. And when she words it that way, I really see what she's saying. Um, I want to address her sub-zero point just real quick. I think there's a big difference when you're replacing a voice actor than a live-action actor. You know, a a voice actor, I'm not saying they're less important, but it's it's just, I'm digging less Well, they're less prevalent on the, I mean, mean, you see that you can actually see the live action actor in right. you know in front of you in full in full motion and everything and it's it's uh i guess it's a lot uh more uh sensually pleasing mm-hmm. or and prevalent you know right yeah that's that's what i was trying to get at there before i started digging myself into a hole there um but yeah i i, I see where she's coming from but yeah it's it's the joker you know it, it's not someone like the condiment king who you could just replace real easily this is this is one of those roles that when you play it you know you become the joker forever i mean look at cesar romero look at jack nicholson look at mark hamill even um and i think we're going to get that with heath Heath ledger so to have another actor play that same role in the same franchise down the line it's just uh, i don't know there's just something wrong about that in my mind and i I can't quite articulate my feelings, um, especially since Mindy has provided us with a well thought out argument. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, now we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, no. yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it, there's just something about it that just seems weird to me. But I, she's right, though. You know, just putting the Joker away in a box, as I had suggested, that doesn't seem fair to the character either. So, what do you do? Do you recast it, or do you stick him in a box? What do you think, James? I think. I will reserve my judgment until after I see the movie. As I've said from the beginning, yeah. I, I don't want to. I want to see, you know, how the how the Dark Knight plays out. After that, then I'll be able to. I will. I think I'll be able to formulate a, a better opinion about it. Okay. You mean if he gets away, if he's yeah, if he gets away, does he live? You know, does is he thrown off a building? God forbid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just whatever. I want. You know, I just want to see what happens first. Okay. Well, in a couple of months, I want an answer from you, sir. Okay. okay. We'll do. Okay, who's next? Okay, our next one is from Stavros. Hey, one of our favorite formites. Uh, hey guys, I worked this all out in my head as I listened to episode 21 and I never got around to sending the feedback until I heard the letters portion of 22. Basically the way I had it figured, Brainiac wasn't designed to be evil or corrupted by an outside force. Obviously his greatest priority was always to collect information first and then to use that to perform the function of the Kryptonian people's most trusted advisor. Kind of like a sentient Wikipedia. Oh, God, that's scary. (laughs) That is a horrific thought. Anyway, however, his programming had not envisioned a scenario where Brainiac's moral code would require him to choose between the people of Krypton and himself. Once he received Jor-El's data, he reached the conclusion that it was them or him, and his primary objective, to collect information, resulted in his final choice. By surviving, he was able to collect all the information that 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 he could ever have about the Kryptonian people. His survival was essential to fulfilling the task for which he had been designed. At this point, I believe he decided to change his methods with regards to his primary objective. He realized 
that he could collect all the information in existence if he made sure that nothing new happened after he had been somewhere else. This is why he now chooses to destroy worlds and races once he has assimilated all the relevant data. His inspiration was his exodus from Krypton. He was never evil per se on Krypton, just emotionless and following a set of programming parameters set generations before that were far too narrow to accommodate the scenario pre- uh, presented by the impending destruction of Krypton. His programming has always, been, has always since remained the same, just his methods differ depending on the circumstances and his experiences during his travels. That's just how I saw it. Of course, that might differ when we start to see Brainiac more and more, but I think my rationale applies to, the Brain, to Brainiac's methods and reasoning in that opening episode. Keep up the good work. P.S. Thanks for introducing me to the Uncanny X-Cast, Mike. It re- it's rekindling an affection for the X-Men I haven't felt since I was a kid getting up early to watch the 90s cartoon. <laughs> That's actually in reference to something that, uh, I, what did I, what was it, episode 195-ish of Earth 2.net, the show? I played that song from the Uncanny X-Cast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think I've mentioned them much or if all uh, on this show here. But uh, one of my favorite podcasts, if not my favorite podcast, is a podcast called The Uncanny X-Cast, obviously. And uh, it's all about the X-Men. And the two hosts, they just have a ton of fun just sitting there shooting the shit about the X-Men. The average show is about two hours long. Their most recent one went actually three hours long. So if you're hankering for another long podcast, go to iTunes and look up The Uncanny X-Cast. It's a great show. On to this email. James, what do you think about uh, what are you saying about Brainiac there? Absolutely makes sense. I mean, it, and it, I think it maybe it provides us, a, like you said, a rationale for uh, why he he suddenly became quote unquote evil. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just wasn't evil in the Earthling sense. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it was just the uh, the mission, I guess, for lack of a, a better word. Yeah, it's at this point, it's just straight up um, reasoning with him. I was mm-hmm. created to chronicle history but i can't chronicle history if i'm staying on this planet for a billion years therefore i will end the history of this planet record everything up to this point and move on to the next planet that makes sense in a very black and white cold computerized emotionless way so maybe stavros has a point here okay next email is from Stuart. okay mike here we go uh-huh <laughs> No, the argument is not over. It's said that Superman the Animated Series established a new DC Animated Universe from Batman the Animated Series, which means that the pop-up is clearly wrong, given that Batman the Animated Series is indeed part of the same universe, if by universe it means continuity, which you clearly believe it to. Therefore, it's saying that Teen Titans is part of a universe is part of the universe can't be regarded as valid either if it actually claims that the DC Animated Universe started with Superman the Animated Series. It's just so impossible to justify the technological advances and supernatural craziness that is presented, that is clearly present, uh, present in Teen Titans, when in Batman the Animated Series they are apparently just now discovering how to alter DNA, i.e. on leather wings, and how to program basic robots which are proven to be imperfect anyway, as in Heart of Steel and his Silicon Soul. While all this stuff happens on such enormous scales in Teen Titans, and come on, can you seriously imagine any of the things that happen in Teen Titans all the zaniness and nonsensical logic coexisting with the very, very realistic Batman the Animated Series? It's impossible, I tells you. And let's not forget that there is no real evidence from Murakami or any of the creators, not to mention any references in the show to the Timverse, so any possible claim that it's in the same universe is solely hypothetical. Don't get me wrong, I still love the show, it just can't be in the same continuity. First off, first off, I believe 
I don't have my notes in front of me because once we are done recording, I throw my notes out. But I'm 99% sure the pop-up said Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series created a new DC Animated Universe. Not just that Superman created a new DCAU. It said both of them did it together. Um, Second, there are references in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon to Teen Titans. There are. Speedy appears. And he's... And I know this is kind of a loose connection, but he's older. He's no longer his teenage form. He's older. And he's voiced by the same actor who played him in the Teen Titans cartoon. Michael Rosenbaum does The Flash in the Justice League and Justice League cartoons. He also voices Kid Flash. He's also older. So you have to assume that this is the same Flash and Speedy that were in the Teen Titans cartoon. There's other little Easter eggs um, in, um, shoot, what's that Justice League episode where that general takes that serum and turns turns into that Hulk-like creature? Patriot Act. Right. In that one, I'm 99% sure we actually see the pizza joint that the Titans hang out at, too. So there's little nods to the Titans in the Justice League. So, but we'll get, I mean, when we get to Justice League, we'll examine these things a little better. Mm-hmm. But I still say it's in continuity, so. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. But I, but I fully understand why people wouldn't want it to be in yeah. continuity, why they don't think it is. I mean, like I said, sometimes I even have trouble wrapping my head around it. Sometimes I think, is it, you know, I, I have to wonder, is it before Batman? Is it after Robin quit? Well, it can't be after Robin quit because he's too old when he quit to have been in Teen Titans. And he's and and uh, Stewart is right. If it takes place before Batman, there's just certain things like the DNA splicing and the robots in Batman th- that don't jive with the the genetically engineered creatures and robots in Teen Titans. I see where people are coming from, but when you know a commentary says it's in continuity, you kind of got to roll with it. If mm-hmm. You don't like it, you don't like it. Sorry. We went straight to the source. Yep. <laughs> All right. Our next one is from Dave, who writes, Hey, guys. This is the same Dave that we mentioned earlier, too. Right. Okay. And he says, Thanks for reading my email on the podcast. I sounded kind of like an ass in in the email. I didn't mean to sound so mean. I hope you guys weren't offended by that. And no, we were not. Absolutely not. You know it was all meant to be good-natured ribbing with tongue firmly implanted in cheek. While I disagreed with Avatar's review, I do think that you guys are doing a great service for the DCAU fandom and deserve kudos for taking on such an ambitious project. Keep up the good work. Over at our forums, you did kind of take a bit of a, you know, ribbing, we'll say. Um, but no, I, I knew where you were coming from. You were a fan of Avatar. We clearly weren't fans of it. And, you know, we butted heads because of it. But no, we, we understand where you were coming from. You were not an ass, so no need to apologize. Okay, our next email says, Hey, hey guys, love your show. I love how you guys do uh, do the show, especially because I used to watch these all the time when I was younger, and it brings back lots of memories. So I just wanted to say that I think in episode 21 you made some sort of Lana, uh, some sort of Lana Lang reference that she was first established in Superman, in the Superman animated series when she originally was a character in the Superman movie with Christopher Reeves. At the beginning when Clark uh, is with the guys who cleans up after the football players, a girl goes, hey, Clark, do you want to go somewhere? She invites him, and and he says, no, thanks, Lana. I have stuff to do. She goes, okay, Clark. This happens right before the scene where he kicks the football. I can also relate to the way you despise the Lana Lang character, especially if you watch Smallville. I know it doesn't refer to the DCAU, but it did have a lot of great stuff in the first seasons. After that, that, Lana became just ridiculously too annoying 
first she's with Clark, then she leaves, then she's with Lex, and then Lex experiments on her. I couldn't even stand her in Superman the Animated Series. She's just a huge distraction for Clark from Lois. Another thing I have about Superman is that all superheroes have secret identities for, to protect themselves and their loved ones. Well, if you notice, Lois Lane often gets kidnapped as bait for Superman, even though they don't know his secret identity. <laughs> she is still one of his big weaknesses. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> even Jimmy in one episode is taken hostage in JLU. I think by Black Canary to lure Superman so she can talk to him. I really don't remember that. but Yeah, um, but he could be right. I don't know. Yeah. So... The only people he's really protecting is his parents, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Even Lois probably means more to Superman than Clark. Sorry, just had to shout that out. No, you know, I know once you read this, it'll probably be like six weeks since that episode, but I just had to tell you, Chris. Uh, thank you, uh, different Chris. Um, yes. <laughs> what, okay, getting back to the, the Lana thing, I never meant to imply, and I'm sorry if it came across that way, but I never meant to imply that Lana was first introduced in Superman the Animated Series. I mean, she goes back deep into Superman's continuity. I mean, she's from Superboy. You know, I mean, we're talking, this character's been around for a very long time. So, I mean, even way beyond the original Superman Christopher Reeves movie. So, like I said, sorry if I implied that I didn't mean to. Um, as you know, I wholeheartedly agree with you about uh, Lana in, in Smallville, but not so much in Superman the Animated Series, as we'll get into a little later in this episode. I, I like her. In, in this. Okay. Our next email is from the original Chris. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. How's it going? Just a couple additions to episode 22. In feeding time, the cop who's giving Clark all of that information is listed as Inspector Henderson in the credits. In the comics, he's a longstanding friend of Clark's, so he would give Clark a lot more information than a random detective would give a random reporter. Granted, at this point in the series, they wouldn't have built that relationship, but I think it was a nod to the comics relationship. Incidentally, he was voiced by Mel Winkler, uh, who played the same character for the first couple of, of appearances in Lois and Clark before Richard Belzer took over the character. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. In the way of all flesh, the producers also felt Metallo was a serious threat. This is probably why his high-tech robot body doesn't have a high-tech component called a backup battery. Huh. So he keeps moving when that, uh, so he stops moving when that kryptonite comes out. You'd think that the guy would learn to stop whipping his power supply out and <laughs> waving it at people. In Chaos at the Earth's Core in JLU, Supergirl lost her powers and it took and took him out with a knife by cutting out the kryptonite. I don't think it was explicitly stated, but it seemed that there is some leakage of kryptonite radiation through Metallo, the substance, that weakens Superman around Metallo. But most of the radiation is blocked unless he opens his chest cavity. Also, remember that in The Last Son of Krypton, Corbin was officially in the country as an envoy of the Regent of Kaznia, presumably holding the throne in place of King Gustav, Audrey's father. He obviously was picked for his mercenary skills rather than diplomatic ones, and didn't have diplomatic immunity, but he did have some status. His privileges in jail may have come through Kaznia, but been paid under the table by Luthor. This would cover Luthor, officially. Why would it... Why would he look after the man who stole his battle suit while keep while letting him keep ties with Kaznia, keep Corbin happy and silent, and manipulate towards the way of all flesh? Sounds convoluted enough for Luther to me. <laughs> awesome. Uh, finally, Mike, you're absolutely absolutely right. Bruce Tim has explicitly identified the the scene in Stolen Memories as an homage to the first Fleischer cartoon, Superman: The Mad Scientist. Oh, I thought so. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. All right. Next email is from Eric, who writes, Hey guys, sorry for the long response. I have already said my opinions on the forums, but I thought I'd say a few more things in the email. I hate 
in capital letters, Lana Lang in Smallville. I have no love or hate for Kristen Kroik, but her portrayal of, of Lana is annoying. The first and second season of the show, she was a decent character. I'm an Allison Mack fan and want so bad for Chloe and Clark to just get over themselves and get together. Yes. Stacy, uh, I guess it's Hyduk, is my, is my favorite Lana Lang, even over Annette O'Toole. Erica Durance is so not a good Lois Lang. She seems to combine Terry Hatcher and Dana Delaney's Lois Lane and mix it with a very immature and annoying twist. Her only, ap- or her only contribution to the series so far seems to be that she's a superhero groupie, yeah. Aquaman and Green Arrow, and a little sex appeal. My other gripe is that when Clark becomes Superman in the future, Lois has already seen Clark without glasses and knows that he isn't a bumbling nerd. So when the time comes, how will she not be able to see that Clark came to Superman? James, in spite of, flaw, of the flaws, I think you should give Smallville a chance. James Marsters, Spike, and Buffy and Angel, is a great brainiac. I have to say, actually, uh, he was he was actually pretty good as uh, Luthor in uh, Superman Doomsday. He was part of the reason I didn't give that that movie a lower grade. So, I I probably would agree with you if uh, if I saw it. Okay, but before we move off uh, his his Smallville section, there, I want to say. And I, I, I believe I've said this on Earth2.net, the show. I think how they're going to end Smallville is they're going to have to have someone, I don't know who, but someone wipe everyone's memory. So it's not like, oh, it was a dream all along type scenario where it still happened. And possibly even Clark will remember that all this happened. But other characters, that being Lois and Luthor, most importantly, won't remember all this stuff happening before. Um, that'll, of course, cause some problems, because how did they get from where they last remember being to where they are now? Um, but it would explain why they can't remember um, what Clark looks like without his glasses, and why they can't draw the connection between Superman looking like Clark. You know what I'm saying there? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just what they're going to have to do, is have some great mind-wipe thing. Um, I've heard some theories that they might set it up where uh, in the very first episode of Smallville, uh, Luthor's car drove off a bridge and Clark saved him from drowning. Some people have speculated that it'll turn out that the entire series was just a dream uh, that Luthor had. Sort of like not his life flashing before his eyes, but a future fast flash flashing before his eyes um, in that moment when he was underwater. Um, so then you could say it didn't play out that way. I think that's lame. Um, but they're going to have to do something. They absolutely have to do something because too many people know Clark uh, without his glasses. Too many people know who he is and what he can do. Um, it's, it's just crazy what they've done. I think they've written themselves into a corner, frankly, and they don't know how to get out. And that's one of the reasons they keep the series going. I mean, I'm sure the other reason is ratings and advertising dollars. But they have to get to a point where he can put that Superman suit on uh, in a believable fashion, and they're not even close to being there yet. Just my two cents. Okay. <laughs> now getting off the Smallville rant on a DCAU show, it seems that in the first set of episodes, Bruce Tim has forgotten that this is meant to air originally on Kids WB. So it's strange that the MPAA of TV and WB animation would allow the series to get so adult-like, like the Toy Man's look, Ruby's transformation, and Metallo's ripping of his skin off. I'm not complaining. I love it. But I am wondering how many kids under 10 are watching this and not getting nightmares. 
Clancy Brown is my favorite Lex Luthor. Amen to that. Gene Hackman, Kevin Spacey, Michael Rosenbaum, and John Shea are great in the role, but Clancy Brown certainly mixed the different eras of Luthor's character nicely. To have Clancy Brown voicing Lex Luthor in The Batman is a no-brainer choice, and I'm glad they did it. Metallo is voiced by Malcolm McDowell. He is the best actor to portray Metallo. In Superboy, he was played by Michael Collan under the Roger Corbin persona of Metallo, and Scott Valentine played the John Corbin persona in Lois and Clark. I believe that Metallo's skeleton is made with a titanium-lead alloy, so it's a form of metal mixed with the lead blockage from Superman's X-ray vision, which in turn blocks the radiation of the kryptonite until it is allowed to be exposed. In the Brainiac episode, I found it very shocking to think that Superman seems to allow all the worlds that Brainiac has collected to be destroyed in the ship's explosion. Thank you. I forgot to mention that on the on yeah. the episode. That was another thing I really took issue with. Yeah. Saving only the only the globe for Krypton. It seems selfish, which we all know is very unsuperman like. Bruce Tim and Paul Dini have managed to retell the origin of yet another villain to which it to which it has been transferred into continuity like Smallville, and it works. Corey Burton's voice is perfect for Brainiac. Him being brought into the Batman was a great choice. I would like to see Corey Burton Corey Burton in action, acting in a film or TV show in a live-action way. It'll be fun when you guys review the episodes for New Batman Adventures, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, where he teams up with Lex Luthor, Darkseid, and Mind Control's Bruce Wayne. Okay. Thank you, Eric. Okay, our next one is from Monica, who has written us before. Writes, hello, guys. I'm really enjoying your reviews of Superman, and I just want to share some thoughts. About Superman looking exactly like his father... Well, we don't know how babies were made in Krypton. Maybe they manipulate genes, so every kid rep- resembles their parents in all the ways. Those crazy Kryptonians. Hey, that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> the pop-up book that explains the origin of Toy Man is therapy. His shrink told him it would be a good idea. Let the pain out. <laughs> <laughs> works for see, me, too. <laughs> see, everything can be explained, because I refuse to believe that the DCAU is not perfect, because it is. <laughs> that I don't agree with. I mean, look, terrible trio. <laughs> Exactly. But seriously, you guys are objective in your reviews, so keep up the good job, Monica. Let's see. Our next one is from Thomas, who writes, Hey, gang, listen to the latest episode a while ago. I've been busy lately, so I couldn't write you in vitro, but I wanted to chime in with this one little observation about the early episodes of Superman the Animated Series. While Bruce Tim has been very, very clear on patterning Luthor on Telly Savalas, I have to wonder if John Corbin, who becomes Metallo, wasn't patterned after another famous actor from that era, James Coburn. Look at the character closely. He's got that lean, lanky body of Coburn, along with that too-wide smile and the gray hair of that famous actor. Can't wait till you hit Tools of the Trade, Tom. Well, well you won't have to wait very long. <laughs> who's, uh, who's James Corburn? Do you know who, who that is? Coburn? Yeah, yeah I... Yeah, I've heard of him definitely. I just don't remember what movies he's been in. Let me okay. just do a, I can do a real quick thing here. Yeah, I'm gonna too. I'm gonna I'm gonna IMDB him and see what I can pull up here. James uh I hope I'm spelling this right. James Coburn. Oh, uh, I put Nar in there. Oh, you know oh, maybe. Okay. I I've only, I'm only seeing no, okay. Are you on his IMDB page, James? Yes, yes I am. You see that picture on the left, the black and white profile shot? Mm-hmm. That is clearly Metallo. Yep. Look at that. I mean, all the pictures mm-hmm. with him with the beard when he's older, maybe you could sort of see it. But that profile shot, for, for sure, 100% is where they got their Metallo. So excellent, excellent call there, Tom. That was, that was wow. All right. Our next one is from Mike, who writes, 
Guys, 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 it was Christopher McDonald that was the voice of Jor-El in Superman the Animated Series, who was in Happy Gilmore's Shooter McGavin. I found I found and started listening to your podcast on March 1st, and I listened to every one through 22 of World's Finest Podcast. Good lord, whoa, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. I found and started listening to your podcast on March 1st? March 1st. March, he sent this email on March 2nd, which is the night we're recording this, correct, James? Yeah. So you've listened to 22 episodes in, like, maybe 36 hours at most? My God, man! Thank you for your devotion, but my God! My God! Wow. That's not... And I know we've recorded more than 36 hours of show. Wow! <laughs> wow! Well, I mean... Geez. Unless he's just giving us the emails. <laughs> I, wow, just, my mind is blown! Oh, man. Oh, I love it. I love that we have people that are that devoted. Woo! <laughs> yes. It is nice, isn't it? Go leave a review on iTunes. Woo! <laughs> yes, please, please. Go. That is your new mission. Yes. <laughs> okay, you guys rock. I can't wait for Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. I loved the JL Season 1 and 2 theme, but I like the JLU theme for the rest of the series. It was more upbeat and rock-like, which Bruce Timm said they wanted to go for. Anyways, keep up the good work, Mike. Wow! Jeez! No, Oh. Uh, so that's it for the emails, right? Yes. Okay, now what we actually have is an MP3 that a couple of fellows sent in a couple of weeks ago. Hey guys, uh, Michael and James. My name is Dennis. Uh, my name is Matthew. And we're both big fans of World's Finest Podcast. We've both uh, got iPods of our own, uh, myself only recently buying one. And when I was searching online for podcasts to listen to during my commute to work, I happened to have stumbled upon your show. Uh, you were already 18 episodes into your Batman the Animated Series reviews, and we've both been frantically trying to catch up as best we can ever since. I'm almost there, not quite. I'm at episode 17, I think, out of 21 that have been out so far. So right, We'll get there, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, we actually just got some equipment and started to do our own podcast called The Watchtower. Uh, because of our love for Batman and Superman and all things DCAU, uh, we're only three episodes into our show and we don't by any means, uh, by any stretch, have many listeners, but we hope to get there one day. Uh, on the show, we talk about all of the television shows that we both watch from week to week, and as such, we're very big fans of your show. And wanted to voice in. Uh, we don't know for sure whether or not you've been receiving audio feedback. Yeah, but we know you've been uh, asking for it at the end. Uh, feedbacks in the form yeah. of MP3s exactly. or uh, email. So we decided to give, send you an MP3. Let you guys know. Uh, we have all of the Batman and Superman animated series, and we're watching. We're rewatching them all right now, and we're very much enjoying listening to your reviews that we get to enjoy right after. Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to basically uh, comment and chime in with my two cents regarding two points of contention, if you will, uh, that you guys have regarding the Joker working as a thug in Mask of the Phantasm as a hitman, as well as the whole Killer Croc, is he dumb, isn't he issue. Uh, firstly, I just wanted to mention that the Joker being a goon for Valestra and the other crime bosses back in the day, it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, while I understand your concern that Batman and the police could just ask the living crime bosses, who the guy with the pointed nose is in the picture, like you guys said, who's to say that the Joker, when he first came to Gotham, when he first joined the crime families, 
just lied that he gave the fake name of Jack Napier uh, to sort of cover his true tracks and his uh, his identity before he came to Gotham. So this might explain why the Gotham PD thinks that Jack Napier is his real name as opposed to just an alias, which I know irks you guys to no end, uh, but also why Batman can't necessarily track down uh, who the Joker really is and sort of cure him, as you guys say. Uh, secondly, I just wanted to quickly mention that the only episode where Croc is really played, portrayed as the dumb guy, is Almost Got Him. And if you think about it, that's the episode where Batman is actually pretending to be Croc. I always got the impression that Batman was just overacting for the sake of the other villains in the room. Uh, that he was just portraying Croc as the dumb lummox, the dumb brute, because that's how the other villains viewed him. Uh, if you remember that episode, which I'm sure you do, all the villains were sort of putting each other down, taking jabs at each other. And what better way to fly under the radar than just be a dumb idiot, Croc, which is what the other villains think of him in the first place. So just my two cents, uh, make whatever you will out of it. Interesting. I'm not as far along as Dennis, so maybe when I get there, I'll send over some MP3s with some feedback or comments. Uh, so anyway, we you know, just want to let you know that we really appreciate your show and the quality of work you guys put into it. Uh, you know, keep it going. Yeah, big fans. Big uh, fans. Yeah, you definitely have some friends here at the, at the Watchtower. And uh, you could reach us at watchtowerpodcast at hotmail.com. Uh, so take care. Good luck. Yeah, we hope to see a lot more of you guys soon. Have a great one. Thank you, guys. I think you make some great points, um, and I'll address them one by one here. Um, I think what you guys said about the Joker uh, giving the false name of Jack Napier, and that's the reason the police have it on file, and is also the reason why Batman can't figure out who the Joker really is, explains so much. It, it works perfectly, and I'm glad you guys came up with that and, and sent that in, because it works for me. What about you, James? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's... Now, now maybe we won't drive ourselves insane when we when that, when that comes up. <laughs> yeah. Um, as for Killer Croc's IQ, I agree with you to a point because if you remember after um, the episode almost got him, the producer started portraying Croc as being you know dumber and dumber each time. You know, the dumbest he was ever played was in Almost Got Him, but it seemed like his IQ was slipping from that point. Um, so it, it, to me, it's almost like the producers forgot it was Batman portraying him in that episode, that it really wasn't Croc that was acting like a buffoon. What do you have to Man, say? Man, that was a damn good performance, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Batman is, a, is an actor in addition to being the world's <laughs> greatest detective and martial artist or whatever. <laughs> but what about Croc's IQ? What do you say about that we'll see what i need to do is go back and go into gotham knights and watch the episode that or episodes he may have been in two uh that he appears in because i need to see how he was portrayed in those in that or those episodes um and then maybe it'll be then maybe we'll, because that's the last we'll ever see of him in right. the dcau so then we'll we'll have a more concrete way of saying okay yeah he got he he's around well, when we get to Gotham Knights, I'll be like, oh, wow, he's dumb as a brick. <laughs> Which dumb I think actually rock. is what happens. Dumb as a rock. <laughs> Which Good you can call. throw at Batman, of course. Yes. I'm sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> no, it's like, but then I think that's actually what ends up happening is he ends up becoming just ridiculously stupid. 
when so. he wasn't in his first appearance. I mean, he was a very no. cold, calculating man that just looked very brutish. Um, and that's kind of why I took issue with how Batman was portraying him and then how the producers would continue to write him down the line. Um, but James is right. We will have to look at how he's portrayed in uh, Gotham Knights, the new Batman adventures, whatever. Um, and then we can make a better judgment call. Finally, I've been trying to get in touch with you all day. Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. My card. The name's Lobo. That's L as in lacerate, O as in obliterate, B as in disembowel, and O as in a... I guess I can use obliterate twice, huh? What do you think? I think you're a certifiable madman. Thanks. Our first episode today is The Main Man. In this two-part episode, Lobo, the foul-mouthed extraterrestrial bounty hunter, has been hired by a being known as the Preserver to capture Superman, to basically hold him in captivity for the rest of his life. He desires Superman because he's a rare species, and this guy, this thing, is basically just collecting organisms from all over the cosmos uh, to preserve them uh, in his like gar- his gargantuan space colony of sorts. Uh, like spaceship colony thing, and Soups, being the last Kryptonian, is a prime target for his collection. Now, it's, it should be noted, Preserver doesn't mean any harm to Soups because he just wants to, you know, uh, keep him, you know, just keep him in a cage basically the rest of his life. But you know, Soups can't have this; he'll have none of it. So there, but then he's also got the problem of Lobo causing mass havoc all over Metropolis and kidnapping Lois to get to him. And Lobo himself actually has to deal with the fact that the Preserver is only using him and wants to hold him in the exact same captivity because he is the last Zarnian. So, after Preserver double-crosses Lobo, Lobo and Superman have to make a very uneasy alliance to escape the clutches of this thing. Um, Lobo fucking rules. (laughs) I, this, and I've said this before. And I'm not sure if by the end of the Superman the animated series I'll say it because I have I I have to watch all the episodes again. But when I was watching these for the first time back in the in the 90s, this was by far my favorite episode of Superman the animated series. It is just nonstop fun. <laughs> you just you just sit back and watch it and laugh because it's just a it's a more mature Looney Tunes cartoon basically. Uh-huh. And it's God. It's just so much fun to sit there and just laugh hysterically at it. <laughs> but anyway, I'm gonna gush this whole thing. So what do you want to say? <laughs> well, I have to agree with what you're saying about it being fun. I mean, when I sat down to watch this episode this afternoon, I was like, you know, I don't remember if I liked this one or not when I had originally saw it on TV all those years ago. I mean, I've seen it a couple of times. Um, hell, I've even seen it. I've watched it just for just as I was going through the DVDs after I bought them, but I can never remember if I liked it. And so, again, I I had no preconceived notions going in, and after I was done watching this, one of the things I wrote down in my notes is that this is what Superman is all about. Big, fun, science fiction action. 
Mm-hmm. That's what this episode is from top to bottom. We got an alien coming to Earth, kicking Superman's ass because another alien wants to put him in a zoo, and they have to team up and start kicking some more ass, and there's robots, and there's other aliens, and there's then the preserver becomes this whole other thing that has this very... Um, you know, he goes from this very childlike, uh, uh, calm, collected calm, thing, right? Yeah, to this very teen, almost Teen Titans ish. I was that was one of my notes. Yeah, yeah. it was. And, this was like the foundation of the Teen Titans animation, right here. Yeah, it was one of those things where I was looking at this and I'm like, man, that looks like a Teen Titans villain. And then I listened to the commentary, and it. In there, they mention that it looks like a Teen Titans villain. So I was like, good, my opinion was, uh, uh, <laughs> what do you call it, uh, justified, because even mm-hmm. the producers saw it. Um, you have been vindicated. Yeah, exactly. As have I. That's, that's the word I was, I was looking for. So coming out of this, again, I went in with no preconceived notions, but coming out of this, I was like, god damn, this was good. This was just so much fun. I, I, at one point, I stopped taking notes. I was just watching the damn cartoon. I'm like, I'm supposed to be taking notes here on this thing, and I'm watching this for fun. And, of course, that's what we want. We want those episodes where we can just pop the DVD in, kick back, and just relax. And just laugh and enjoy the excitement. And this episode delivers in spades. Man, uh, Brad Garrett, who most people remember from Everybody Loves Raymond, just absolutely own the role of Lobo. Yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal work on his part. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Lobo character. I mean, I did read the comics when I was a kid, and I I liked them to a point. You know, I liked Lobo Cop. I liked the... I I, I liked Lobo before he got his own series, basically, when he was still a parody, because that's why Lobo was created. He was a parody of Wolverine and those dark characters like the Punisher and things like that. But then he ended up becoming a parody of himself, and that's when he sort of lost his edge and what the character was all supposed to be about. But those early issues, they were good, but later on, eh. But, yeah, Brad Garrett brought so much to this role, he made me like Lobo again. I want to go out and find those old issues, which I don't think I have anymore. Yeah. This this cartoon makes me want to read more comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the it all, all this fun, of course, stems from the uh, action sequences, but the dialogue just as much so. Mm-hmm. Every time Lobo speaks, you 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 start crying, laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, just like someone's really tired of breathing. I'll cancel that homemade colostomy I'm planning <laughs> on unleashing on you. Mm-hmm. Whoa, mosquito! Bam! <laughs> <laughs> and then it's that blast I think that ends up just coincidentally hitting Superman too. <laughs> well, that was when he was in the bank, and he's just sitting there with the he. I think he probably just murdered the cop that was sitting there, uh, mm-hmm. and like he has the cop's hat on backwards, and he's sitting there with his feet propped up on the desk, and he's just he's just shooting holes in the building everywhere, and then he's like mosquito, bam. Yeah, and like I said, that beam goes out and it hits Superman. It's crazy. Um, there was another line that I liked in this one that I had to write down because it made me think of a different sort of character. I'm I'm assuming you maybe picked up on this too, James. Okay, I'm going to read you the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 someone, I forget who it is. Uh, oh, it's the, the preserver says something to Lobo. And then Lobo says, and I'm the night manager of the Hotel de Frag. Looky there. The, it's checkout time. Does that remind you of anybody? Maybe someone talking about the Smackdown Hotel? <laughs> the second I heard the line about the Hotel de Frag and I'm the night manager and it's checkout time, I was thinking about the Smackdown Hotel and The Rock. 
I'm like, <laughs> did The Rock watch this cartoon before he developed that whole side of his character? I mean, when did this? When did these episodes originally air? Like was ninety-six-ish? Was it six? That I think I want to say ninety-six. And but when did The I mean, Rock really become? You know, the people's champion. Yeah, and, you know, he was that, that was foolish n- character. Ninety-nine, maybe. It's, and maybe late '98. I don't know. It's not I, 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 start, I started watching wrestling in 2000. So mm, yeah, I, same thing with me. I started watching or watching again because I watched when I was a kid. But I got back in sadly after Owen Hart's death, and that was '99. I think that was mm-hmm. May of '99. Yeah, so that's when I got back in. So Rock was already developed into the character that we kind of know him as. He wasn't the, he, you know, he had long since transitioned out of that Rocky Maivia character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've seen the clips. I, I know how his character developed. Um, but, yeah, I'm really wondering if he was maybe watching some Superman when he was on the phone. <laughs> it was like, Hotel Defrag, Hotel Defrag, Smackdown Hotel. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a coincidence. That's all. <laughs> hey, who knows? <laughs> now, what did you think about this episode as an introduction for Lobo? Um. Uh... Could they have done it any better? No. Honestly, no. I mean that's that's uh, that's the question I have to ask. I don't think they could have. It's it, it was Lobo in all his glory. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it, they, they introduced him as the, as the bounty hunter, as the scourge of the universe, <laughs> in his own in in uh, his own words, um, as a guy who can cause mass havoc wherever he goes, and as the antihero. And it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I I just thought, as, as you said, it's the perfect introduction of this character. If you've never heard of this character before, you know everything you need to know about this character right here. Um, and, you know, when they call him the Scourge of the Universe, I mean, they flat out say that he killed everybody on his planet for as his uh, what was it high school or grade school his eighth science. grade eighth grade science project. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that sort of falls in line with his comic origin too. I know he killed everybody on his planet. I don't know if it was a science experiment or not, but I mean they didn't pull any punches when it came came to why he's the last Zarnian, and that really does make him the scourge of the universe. I mean this guy is a bastard, and they did not pull a single punch in introducing him. I mean, virtually every other word out of his mouth is frag, which is just a stand-in half the time for fuck. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just going right by the censors because it's some made-up language, but you just have to listen to what he's saying, and you're like, my God, he just said fuck three times in two sentences. You know? (laughs) Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of this character in comic form, but here in cartoon form, wow. This just is mind-blowing. Now speaking of uh, of such things, um, now I don't know when exactly this word, the slang word, actually came into yeah, common common use. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know you know what I'm about to say. Uh-huh. I'm not exactly sure when this slang word came into common use in this country, but uh, that big slug, that slime pile of shit creature that uh, like hires Lobo and is after him and sends all these these bounty hunters after him, his name is Emperor Spooge. Yeah, and you know, if you don't know what the word means, it's jizz. it means jizz. Yeah, that that's what it, it it's a slang for jizz. Mm-hmm. And if so, you don't know what jizz is, Jesus Christ, you know, yeah, dictionary dot com. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I was listening to this and I'm like, wait, did they just say what I thought they said? 
Was was that who he, is that his name? Emperor? Really? Oh. When it was over, and I looked at the credits, I, I had to make sure that was how it was spelled. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was spelled S P O O J in the credits, mm-hmm. but. It's pronounced the exact same way, so yeah. there you go. Yeah, it's close enough. <laughs> but it actually kind of confuses me on some level because the thing looked like just a pile of shit, like yeah. the Golgothan shit demon from Dogma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so you you would think it would, it would become if that was what caused it, it would become like a you know a uh, a slang for shit. But yeah. whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's just um, weird. No that was idea. There. That's all. Uh... Oh, okay. So what so else getting about back, this episode? Yeah. Well, getting away from the uh, um, the the hilarious stuff for a second, um, I thought it was kind of cool when uh, Superman arrives on the scene and he's you know duking it out with Lobo in the street that the security guards tell Superman to get out of the way and they like throw the assist in there for him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of neat. It was that the that Metropolis has already taken to this guy, even though it, he's, he hasn't been there all that long and. They're, they want to help him any way they can. It was it was kind of neat. Yeah, they understand that he's not. You know, when you look at Batman, you I mean, you know he's a good guy, but he's this dark hero. I mean, you don't know really where he falls. You know, you understand what I'm saying there. I mean, yeah. if you saw Batman on the street, you'd be like, okay, you're supposedly a good guy, but you're making me shit my pants. Mm-hmm. Superman, he comes in and he's this rescuing angel you know he means you no harm he might be an alien from another world but there's something about his presence that just makes you want to trust him so it makes sense that the uh, citizens of metropolis would have taken to him already in the short time that he's been there mm-hmm. so um now i have to wonder though going all the way back to the beginning of this episode when exactly did superman have time to learn to become a pilot and does he really have time to test, you know, test drive rockets? Well, I mean, hasn't that been kind of a recurring thing so far? Is that you know he and Emil Hamilton are just testing out, you know, space age polymers and suits and and just stuff like that. Okay, you know, Hamilton is building him all these suits. There'll even be a new one introduced later on. Um, in um, which one is it? Two's a crowd. There's a whole new suit introduced there. Um, but, you know, just giving Superman a suit that he can wear into battle is quite different than asking Superman to take time out of saving lives to test a rocket. I mean, I understand it's Superman's, the, you know, it's the rocket baby Kal-El arrived in and it's been fitted with, you know, you know, earth, earthly technology and they're, they're testing all these things out. But it was still one of those things where it's like, that's a little curious. I think Superman should be saving people. Not flying rockets. Well, he is the sci-fi hero. (laughs) That is true. That is true. But, I mean, even if you take that, you know, even if you remove that, you just say, okay, forget about it. He does have uh, uh, time to test drive rockets here. When did he learn to fly a rocket? I mean, because you can't say it's being remote controlled because then why have Superman in it at all? If it's being remote controlled, he's clearly flying it. So where did he learn this skill? You know, I, mean, I know he's Superman, you know, super, but I don't know if he has pilot skills. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Batman, sure. Superman, the dude can fly. What's he need a fucking rocket for? That's especially, all. Especially because we've already established that he can fly through the atmosphere and hold his breath for long periods of time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, I'm not taking points away because of it. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just 
saying it's there and it's a little odd. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a good way to begin this episode. I, I did because it, it gave Superman, you know, uh, a ship to go into space with later. Now, granted, as we just said, or as you just said, he doesn't need the ship to go into space, but it gives him weapons to fight Lobo with before they both get captured by the preserver. So right. it set things up to happen later. I understand what they were doing, but it was just a little curious. <laughs> <laughs> How about, uh, Clark Kent revealing his identity. That was so funny. I had to play it for Jen. Like, <laughs> I, I took the headphones out of the computer because I was watching it at my computer. And I'm like, hey, Jen, Jen, listen to this. And she started cracking up, too. Because, I mean, that's a funny thing. I mean, because Clark's just sitting there looking around the room. Well, Lois, I'm actually Superman in disguise. Blah, blah, blah. That's genius. That's genius, and, right? And he lowers his glasses, too. Yeah, he gives, for her effect. A peek. he gives her a peek. Like, just look at me, honey. Just look at me. Look, I'm Superman. Superman. And then she's like, you're a sick man, Smallville. And just walks away. And he's like, well. That was brilliant. Because <laughs> what makes that better, on, on top of lowering the glasses, is before he answers her, he looks around the room like, can Shifty I eyes. say this? Can I tease her? She teases me all the time. I think I'm going to tease her. You see it all in those, like, two seconds before he responds to her inquiry as to how he's getting these stories, despite the fact that he's new in town. It's it's genius writing. I love it. So, uh, I know I've I've been talking a lot about my favorite lines and stuff. Um, how about, uh, I was going to say, how about the, the random Luthor LexCorp building being destroyed? <laughs> His <laughs> office... <laughs> Back and forth. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good stuff. Because I'm watching this, and I'm like, is there? Like, you know, like I said, I, I didn't remember much about this going in. I'm like, is there not going to be any Luthor? And then all of a sudden, what was it? Superman went through it the first time, right? Or were they both went through? They it? were both going through it the first time because yeah. they were fighting. That's right. And then Luthor is all like, I want this fixed now. And then Lobo goes flying through again, knocking he's everybody like, on the ground. <laughs> and he's in his Yosemite Sam mode, like brass a fracking fracking. Yeah. See, that's what I love about the way they did Lobo. Half the time, you don't know what he's saying, but you know what he's saying. And it's not pleasant, you know. <laughs> yeah, you you know he's got, you know, it's like that Qbert thing. You know, you don't exactly know what Qbert's saying, but you <laughs> know he's being dirty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lobo actually is Yosemite Sam, just a lot more resourceful. <laughs> and, you know, when I was watching this... I'm like, you know who would make a really good Lobo if they did this live action? Hmm. Michael Keaton. (laughs) Yes, actually. You take Michael Keaton's dark kind of Batman persona and mix it with his Beetlejuice persona. Oh, God, yes. Lobo there. I mean, Michael Keaton is really good at playing those kind of dark, psychotic characters, and not just in a cartoony way. I mean, Michael Keaton's a really great actor. That's something people... I don't think they appreciate that of him. They just sort of see him as Batman or as this kind of forgotten actor from the nine or from the eighties and early nineties. Maybe they see him as Mr. Mom, but he's a really good serious actor that can play these darker roles, these psychotic roles. And yeah, I think he could do Lobo. I think he could do him real well in sort of a, uh, I don't want to say a totally serious way, but it wouldn't have to be all comedy. If you're understanding what I'm saying there, he'd have a, a very nice edge. Yeah. Black, could, black humor. Yeah, he could give depth to that character. It just wouldn't be one joke after the next. It would be, you know, mostly jokes, but there is more to the character than that. So I know that's not a DCAU thing, but it's just something I picked up while watching this. Mm -hmm. 
I was just going to ask, when uh, they were showing shots, interior shots of the Preserver ship, did you notice Starro? Do you know who Starro is? The uh, the telepathic starfish creature? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I was looking for him, actually. Yeah, he's in part two, but he's, I believe he's in part two, but he's also in part one here. Um, the camera was just panning, and over on the right-hand side in one of those tanks is Starro, and I'm like, that's fucking Starro! And that's so cool, because that was the first villain that the Justice League, I'm talking in the comics, came together to fight. You know, mm-hmm. that the first appearance of Starro was also the first appearance of the Justice League. So it's a very important character to the uh, DC, the overall DC mythos. So it was really cool that they just kind of threw it in there just real quick. Now, does Starro pop back up in Justice League, Justice League Unlimited? He's in Batman Beyond, isn't he? Yes, and the... And the- kind of JLU Batman Beyond crossover episodes, two-parter. Okay. Where where is he in there? I don't remember the 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 uh I mean not I'm not talking about like the J uh like the 2003 cartoon. I'm talking about like uh in the episode for, of Batman Beyond called The Call. Oh. The two-parter. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Old okay. old Superman and the new Green Lantern Aqua Aqua Girl. Mhm. Yeah. Okay. And uh what was it um Warhawk, yeah, Warhawk. Who, will, who will also become very important in Justice League. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Like I said, I, I just thought it was cool that they threw him in there because, as silly as the character is, I mean, it's a giant alien psychic starfish. You know, it's still super important. So it was cool that these ultra fanboys threw it in there. I thought. In the second part, we it, we get a, a hilarious teaming up mm-hmm. in, of Lobo and Superman. And we get you get Superman using his brains instead of his brawn just to get out of that cage because the, what the preserver does is he his his habitat his habitat is meant to perfectly uh, make a perfect replication of Krypton and it has a red sun so the red radiation from that light in his uh, enclosure is you know has has taken his powers away so he can't. He can't just punch the glass and get out of there. So he what's he he does? He uses this uh like this rock crystal, presumably from Krypton, it may be a replica, it doesn't matter, but he use he reflects the light from the red uh the red uh light above his head into this rhinoceros creature outside of his cage and he uses it to just basically piss it off to where it runs into the cage and breaks him out. So it's kinda nice to see Superman Using being resourceful instead of just punching punching a door down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I have to I have to have a gripe here and there. One of the one of my gripes here is uh, after Lobo and Superman team up, um, or I should say before they team up, uh, the Preserver notices that uh, uh, Superman is broken out of his enclosure, and he sends these security droids after them. How long does it take those droids to get down there? Yeah. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, good lord, he let, he let, those droids took so long it allowed Superman and Lobo to basically make their little un- uneasy alliance. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think you'd have them at the ready, you know, but oh no, no, just give them ten minutes. <laughs> they have to take the elevator. But there's another robot alert. Remember, we're on a robot watch. Oh yeah, there we there's, go. I mean, I don't think we have any more robots in the remaining episodes that we're gonna cover today, do we? Um, we don't have any in, my girl, I know that. I'm trying to think. What else is there? 
Tools of Trade? Tools of Trade? No. No, not really, no. And Two's a Crowd? No. So this is, you know, so maybe they're, you know, getting away from their robot fetish. But, yeah, just just <laughs> wanted to point out that there is a robot alert here. Um, I think, you know, I think my only real gripe with this episode, I mean, there are some, the animation gets a little wonky at times. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of times where Superman's just a little off model. He seems a little bulkier than than he should be, or than I shouldn't say than he should be. Than they portray him in other scenes. Is why would the Preserver give Superman his costume back when Superman was abducted and he woke up at the end of the first part? He was dressed like his father. He was dressed yeah. like Kal-El or Jor-El. I mean, and. Because that's, you know, the Preserver wanted him to be in traditional Kryptonian garb, which makes sense. And then just a few minutes later, which would be the start of the next episode, Superman's like, thanks for giving me my uniform back. Why would the Preserver do that? Now, I understand the producers wanted Superman in his costume. They can't have him running around as Jor-El. That might confuse people, specifically kids. I get that. But it just it just didn't make a lick of sense. No, it doesn't. Why would Because, I mean... It isn't like it was just sitting there and Superman put it on. He thanks the Preserver for giving it to him. So why would he even bother to do that? I just didn't get that. Again, not a huge gripe, but it is something that made me scratch my head and go, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. And and another one I, I kind of have to bat my eye at is uh, when Lobo and Superman are like running from the, uh, the, the bounty hunters that Spooge has sent after them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I love how the dirt just conveniently caves in right where they were standing yeah. into a into a clearly pre-constructed, uh, basically death trap. Right. They just happen to be standing on that one little spot of dirt. Right. Yeah. Had it just been that they fell into a pit and there weren't any like metal walls or anything, right? Right. I could go, okay, I understand it, but I I know exactly where you're coming from. It's like. No, they were standing on the X where they had to fall into the shaft where there was this snake. And speaking of that snake, whoa, when Lobo skins that thing, ooh, ooh, that is nasty. I felt so bad for that creature. And then he dives into the sand, which has got to hurt like oh, shit. I know. And I love Lobo's response. Want a belt? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He just says belt. Oh, is it belt? Okay, there you go. <laughs> it was awesome. It was, I mean, Lobo just has so many fucking good lines in this one. Um, and I love the, 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 the robot bimbos that he gets. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with the little spouts that come out of their mouth to gas them whenever he acts up. Because mm-hmm. as I was watching this, I remembered, the only thing I really remembered was that Lobo also got captured right alongside Superman. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I remember there's the red lamp that takes away Superman's power, but I'm like, how does the Preserver subdue Lobo? He's not affected by the sun. He's not like Bane where he needs venom. What's going on? And then I'm, I saw the bimbos. I'm like, oh, yeah, the gas. And then when their heads tilt back and their mouths get real wide like Muppets and those little... <laughs> come out, it's like, that's creepy. It's like they were kind of sexy alien robot babes. And now they're creepy robot alien babes with gassing powers. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny in that is that uh, Superman is going to just leave him there to <laughs> for the rest of his days. And, and he's like, and Lobo is saying, I'm going to kick that big red S of yours all over the galaxy. <laughs> Yeah, and what I like Another line where you know he's saying ass. It's it's sort of like in uh, The Last Son of Krypton where Lois is like, nice ass. And everybody turns uh-huh. around like, what? Um, 
but I liked why Superman freed Lobo, why they made that uh, uh, pack together, is because Lobo said, I am going to get out of here, and I'm going to come back to Earth, and I'm going to nuke it. I'm going to destroy it. And at this point, you already know that Lobo killed everyone on his planet. Superman doesn't necessarily know that. I don't think Superman knows that. But Superman believes... Actually, no, Lobo tells him. He actually specifically tells him once once they're captured. Tells that, him what? Tells him that they, he nuked the... Or that he destroyed everybody on his planet. Oh, I thought he told the Preserver that. Did he tell Superman? They, he tells both of them. They're both stand. They're all three in the same room together okay pardon me i couldn't remember if superman was present when that line was said so okay there you go superman knows that lobo can destroy an entire planet so he has no choice but to make a pact with him so that he doesn't come back and and fuck with earth down the line Mm -hmm. i thought that was a i mean because that's clearly superman right there i mean you know, okay, I'm going to team up with you to save everyone else, even if it means you're going to bother me for another hour of my life. You know, so it, it worked there. I, I really dug that. Um, and something that I noticed as I was watching this is that Dog the Bounty Hunter is Lobo. <laughs> it's I, I don't know if you've watched Dog the Bounty Hunter before, James, um, but he's clearly Lobo just with a Christian slant. That's yeah. all. That you know. That's that's all I'm saying. He resembles Lobo in some regard. People who watch Dog will will be chuckling at this. I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> I've glanced at it here and there, and I've seen the South Park episode parodying it. So. <laughs> that is like Which, one of my favorite episodes. That is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yes, that's one of Jenny's favorite episodes too. She's she's not a big fan of South Park, but that one, yes, yes, that is an mm. awesome one. Uh, but anyways, I have a question now. Okay. When, you know, the Preserver, he takes an active role in trying to uh, get Superman and Lobo back in their cages. And that's when he transforms into that Teen Titans-like villain. Um, but, of course, he's sucked out uh, into the vacuum of space. Does this Preserver return? Because he's a really cool villain. And I saw the potential for at least one more episode with him. And I think it would be a shame if he doesn't come back. But... Does he, does he come back, James? Off the top of my head, I don't think he does. Yeah. But I don't know for, for hmm. 100% certain. I, I really think that's a shame. I do, because... Uh, I don't know. He lost everything. I mean, Superman took all of those creatures to the fortress, which I like, because it's more fortress building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now he's got this zoo down there. I thought that was really cool. And the Preserver could have came back to try to claim those creatures once more. And get Superman again. That doesn't mean Lobo would have to appear once more. That would seem a little odd that Lobo happens to show up right when the Preserver shows up again. Right. But the, the character had the character had legs. I thought. And I, I think it's uh, a damn shame that they didn't bring him back. Um, but speaking of the Preserver, this episode and that character very much reminds me of uh, Kivos, Kivos Fajo. I think is how it's pronounced from the Most Toys from uh, it's a Star Trek: The Next Generation episode. Um, do you know the episode I'm talking about, James? Well, like I said, I've never watched anything Star Trek, so... That's I've... that's true. I forgot about that. Um, in that one, Data is abducted by this guy who's a collector of rare and valuable things. Um, and Data, being a one-of-a-kind, um, this guy wants him. And, he, like I said, he abducts Data, and he tries to put him on display, and he blackmails Data into actually doing what he wants him to do, because he says, hey, if, if you don't um, 
sit in this chair and dress the way I want you to dress and act the way I want you to act. I'm going to kill like, you know, some people on the ship who data was sort of forming some uh, bonds with. Um, so he's this, and he's, he's this very, when you look at Kivas, he's not an intimidating fellow, but he will do dastardly things. I mean, he does kill uh, a character you become attached to by the end of the show. And you're like, you son of a bitch, you killed her, you know? And that's what happens with the preserver here. He goes from this like little egg man who's very almost childlike in, in terms of appearance, you just don't see him as a threat to this very dangerous, threatening thing. So there were some definite parallels there. I don't know if they were on purpose. They might be coincidental. But as a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, I couldn't help but notice them. Well, I will have to take your word for it. Okay. <laughs> it. What else do you want to say about this one? I really don't have a lot more notes. In fact, I don't think I have any more notes. Um, just I loved finally being able to talk about this episode. Uh Red, blue, yellow. Primary, but it works in a superhero-ish kind of way. Let me guess. Martha sewed it for you. What? By the way, Clark, how are the folks? Lana! Over here, men. Lana, are you all right? I'm fine, Lex, thanks to Superman. You know, this is the first time I've actually been happy that alien showed up. Next up is My Girl, and in this one, uh, Lana Lang reappears into uh, Clark slash Superman's life at the same time that Lex Luthor is um, negotiating an arms deal. And Lana is dating, uh, casually seeing, casually seeing, dating, however you want to put it, uh, Luthor. So she's getting, she's overhearing a lot of this inside information that she's then feeding to Clark slash Superman. And uh, Luthor figures out that something's going on between Lana and Superman. So he has to dispose of Lana. And in the process, he tries to dispose of Superman as always. But of course, his plans don't go um, the way he wants them to. Does that kind of sum this one up? Yeah, pretty much. So what are your thoughts about this one? Um, let's see. I think it was a really good episode. Yes. Uh, I, I think maybe my favorite, uh, my favorite part of the episode is the first minute because we get two breast jokes in the opening two minutes. The first one was, uh, Lois commenting that the only thing holding that dress up is faith. Uh-huh. And then the next one was Lana saying, everything's real, boys. Ah, uh, yeah. Does she say faith? I thought she said the only thing holding that dress up was fake. No, I guess what you said makes more sense. Now it, Now that I say that line out loud, out loud, the way I heard it doesn't make sense. So, okay, yeah, yeah, there you go. But yeah, so, you got, yeah. yeah two, 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 two breast jokes in, in the opening minute of the show. That's, that's uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, this was, I think it was a great reintroduction of... Uh, the more mature Lana Lang, because, because she re, she retains her spunk from uh, you know the last son of Krypton, but you know she's clearly uh, very cunning, you know, very intelligent, and it was nice to see that. I think they developed her very well. And she doesn't speak expositionally, unless oh, she did uh, in the second part of the last son of Krypton. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I. I liked the idea of Lana Lang, that there was this girl in Clark's life that he fawned over, that he had a relationship with, that potentially knew who he was and what he could do, 
But then he grew up and kind of moved away from her. I mean, that happens to so many of us, male, female, it doesn't matter. There's someone in our high school years that was very important to us, but then we just grew away from them and as we moved on with our lives. And that's exactly what happened here between the two. Um, and I think this show, this episode specifically, did a great job representing that, that they both still have feelings for each other, Lana more so than Clark. Um, cause Clark clearly does see her as a sister. He almost says it at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love Lana's response to that. Um, uh, I, I forget what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just basically, I, I, I like, I, I like what they did with Lana here and with what they did with the relationship between these two, because I think she's very important to the Clark Kent, not necessarily Superman, the Clark Kent mythos. So the fact that they've added her back into the character's life, even though we'll only see her a few more times, I thought was a smart move on their part, is what I was trying to get at. I thought it was, I think it was nice to see that despite the uh, kryptonite blunder from a couple episodes ago, Superman still retains his edge. Maybe you ladies haven't heard of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would, uh, maybe you would think that, you know, after giving Luthor the means to destroy him, he would, he would never be, uh, arrogant again, but it was nice to see a little, a little smarminess. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that scene, normally we don't talk about sound effects. It's just not something we bring up all that often. But when Superman, after he saves Lana, and then he rips the elevator out from the side of the building, and he ties the cable around that pillar, that noise of the cable going around the pillar, Mm -hmm. it sounded so genuine. I mean... It, it, you know, if you take a cable and you were to hit it, it makes that kind of metallic, wavery noise. Wow, and, wow. Yeah, and that's noise. exactly what we hear here. I mean, I, it just, there, there's something about it that resonated with me. I don't know what it was. I had to take a note on it. I'm like, that was really cool. It was a mm-hmm. great sound effect. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, while we're on the topic of sound effects, I think the sound effects all throughout Superman the Animated Series are great. The gunshots, the swooshing sound of Superman dropping down elevator shafts and flying and just everything. Just everything about this cartoon is spectacular. And the sound effects add to that. They really do. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes more sense because it is it is such a sci-fi show. You have to put more effort into stuff like that. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um. And then there was another one of, of Superman's little lines. I should warn you, it's been done. <laughs> when he's fighting the guys with the uh, gambit or cable gun or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The, the electron discharge thingy. <laughs> I don't remember what the hell they called it. Uh, but that was, it was, it was Cable's gun from X-Men. That's what it was. It looked like something Cable would carry, but it had Gambit's power. Well, I mean, don't, do you remember, like, in the uh, X-Men 90s cartoon, in the the very first season when they're on Genosha, Cable has that gun that he, when he charges it up, like, when he cocks it and shoots it, it shoots a beam that, like, sends, like, gambit, basically a kinetic energy charge through it, and then it, it explodes like a grenade shortly thereafter. Oh, no. That was basically what it was. It was the same exact thing. Oh, I didn't remember that at all. Like I said, I visually I could see Cable carrying it, but what the gun does reminded me of Gambit's powers. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't remember Cable having a gun like that in in the cartoon. But, I mean, I haven't seen that cartoon in a long time. I mean, I might have the episode somewhere. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying. Maybe but, that you may or may not have downloaded. Oh, no, not this again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> flashbacks, horrible flashbacks. Um, But I haven't had time to maybe watch them. If I maybe had them, maybe I'll have to do 
that. Um, but anyways, getting off that silliness. Speaking of the gun, was it just me or did the the barrel look like a stormtrooper mask? Did you notice that, or am I like totally batshit insane? Which barrel? Uh, the well, the front. I, I don't know gun. What's the front of the gun called? Where the bullet comes out, where the laser comes out. That's the barrel, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like if you look at it, because it had two. It had that. Oh, oh! I thought you were talking about like a physical barrel sitting on like a ground out. No, I mean somewhere. The barrel of the gun. I mean, it, it's you know, it's yeah, it did. It, did. it definitely did. Front, and it dips down. It looks like their eyes. And then there's another thing below it that's just there. It doesn't shoot anything that looked like their respirator. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, that's a goddamn stormtrooper. I don't, I, you know, I'm sure. I shouldn't say I'm sure. I mean, I doubt they looked at the stormtrooper mask and modeled the gun after it. It's probably just a coincidence. But as a Star Wars fan, it was one of those things that made me go, hey, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, in, um, is it Tools of the Trade? Yeah, in Tools of the Trade, the front of the train actually looks like, and I, there, I know they didn't model it off of these because these wouldn't come until years later, but the front of the train looks like the masks from the clone troopers in the uh, prequel Star mm-hmm. Wars movies, which we'll conveniently ignore. Yes. But anyways, enough about Star Wars. So let's, let's get back on this one. Um, what did you think of Lana here, really? I mean, as a character, what she does for this episode, what she does for the Superman mythos, everything. She... Well, she carried this episode because they, there really wasn't a lot of Luthor. But I will say that the Luthor that was there was very good because you see a side of him that you never, you really never see again. Yeah, I mean, he uh, melts for Lana. He honestly cares for her. Yes, and he he hates himself for giving the order to basically have her killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell when he he almost, you know, just 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 kills Mercy basically. Yeah, I mean, he never really gets pissed off at Mercy. I mean, she's his right-hand man. And here, he is not happy with Mercy at all. Mercy wants to take Lana out, and Lex is like, fuck you, you know? And then later on, when Mercy takes some pleasure in the fact that it looks like Lana is going to go down, Luthor gets pissed at her again. I think he's just like, get out. And Mercy just kind of sulks away. And to me, at least, that kind of shows that from from the mercy angle that mercy maybe has some feelings for lex because mm-hmm. she's taking you know she doesn't like the this woman hanging around lex and lex she doesn't like the way lex is acting around her so she's taking great pleasure in eliminating this competition oh absolutely we'll say i mean maybe they weren't playing it that way maybe i'm reading into it but i thought i saw it there and i like that i like when they add depth to characters like that mercy just isn't the cold assassin she's the cold assassin who quite possibly has feelings for her boss oh yeah and uh we won't see it until justice league but they that gets amplified big time when amazo shows up um um, let's see. What was my... There was something I needed to ask. It was about Clark. Oh, yeah, it was, um... Does Clark own a Lamborghini? Because that car must have cost a fortune. The one that opens up... That, like, open The the roof just opens up. Oh, I'm not... Then again, it, then again, it is Metropolis, so I guess I shouldn't... I I'm shouldn't not, be asking it. I'm not remembering what happened. What did his car do? When he pulls in... He, he uh... He pulls into the alleyway to, uh... T- change into Superman, uh-huh. basically. He take He, like... The, the roof of the car opens up. The hat, like like a hatch, it opens up and he flies off. Oh, I don't. Re- I remember him pulling like onto you know in that alley where he left the car, but I didn't remember. I don't remember anything happening with the roof. You know, I, you know, I, I don't know. The cars in Metropolis are a little futuristic, but yeah, 
that's, I don't think that's, Clark. I guess I got to chalk it up to that. Well, but you know, you also have to kind of go. Well, Clark, he's not going to make a lot as a reporter, a decent buck, but not a lot. So where is he getting this money? <laughs> he's he a never, pretty nice apartment too. Yeah, is he not giving it all back to the cops at the end of the day? <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you on the take? <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, a big gripe I have, and this is just another one of those action cartoon uh, cliches. It never fails. Anytime a set of train tracks is destroyed, a train always arrives within 30 seconds to become imperiled. Anytime. Though I <laughs> it doesn't agree matter. With you. Though I agree with you 100%. At the very least, they set it up before it happened. Because you're talking about the scene where they're testing the guns, correct? Yeah, they, the guy just blasts the train tracks behind Clark. Right. Before Superman arrives, before the guys start firing the guns at everything in sight, including that deer, uh, you see a train go by on the tracks. So they set it up that these are active tracks. It's just not, oh, a random train is appearing. Another train did go by on the tracks, and another one is now coming. So I see your gripe, but, you know, these... <laughs> They're, they're train tracks. They're I will say that the way he saved the train was was badass. And the fact that it strained on him too. Yeah. I mean, he's like, it takes. I mean, three times he 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 goes down with those with those tracks, and he it takes a lot of effort to push them back up to save those people. And yeah, that was that was one of those scenes where it's like, man, is Superman going to save the day? I don't know. Yay, he did. That was that was quite a cool moment. Yeah, uh, especially when the the wheels are hitting the the space between uh, Superman's two rails and the actual broken rails. And, like, wow. Yeah, and again, awesome sound effects on that as the as mm-hmm. the tracks are, as the as the wheels are hitting those tracks. <laughs> and then they cut to everybody inside, all panicked, like, "What's going on?" You know, because they don't know. Superman's underneath right. them. They don't know what's going on at all. They don't even know the tracks are out. And you're hearing the noise as you're looking at them, and they're all panicky. It was such a cool moment. It really was intense. And then Superman's got to, you know, the, the villains are potentially getting away because of he's got he's to stop this thing. That's, that's I, I dug it. I dug it. That's one of the great uh, things about Superman. Absolutely. You know, is that he can do stuff like that. You know he's always going to do the right thing that he's maybe, maybe the villains got to get away, but he has to save the people. That's what makes Superman work. I mean, I know other superheroes are like that, but you have to remember all superheroes are based on Superman. So when mm-hmm. Superman does it, it's, it's cooler because he's the original. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things about this episode is pretty much the end of it. Um, when uh, Clark and Lana are talking to each other, and, you know, she says, I still have feelings for you. We could be a great item, but I know you'll find that special person for you someday. And it's going to be someone who's quiet and patient and loves you for who you are. And then Lois is back there and she's like, hey, Smallville, Perry wants you in the office now. And it's 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 just really ironic foreshadowing. You know what? I, I, I love it. It's hilarious because the characters, Absolutely. you know, the characters in the moment don't get what's going on. They obviously don't know the future. But we, the viewers, we know the future of these characters. And uh-huh. so what Lana is saying is so much. It's so damn funny. Because of that, it 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 was smart writing. It, it was, was great dramatic irony. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's see. I have one question, mm-hmm. and it's during the uh the lead the lead factory scene, and I guess that's the Lex LexCorp lead factory. 
Um, and I know I'm a I'm an incredibly uh, huge pervert for asking this, but Mike, did you also wonder why Lana was playing with that rocket before the lead started spewing into the room? Yeah, I I was kind of wondering about that too. I mean, I understand that she's curious about why all this ammunition is in there. And even I noted that. I'm like, this is a working factory. It's not like some abandoned factory that Lex happens to own. This is a working factory. And he just happens to have an unlocked room with all this ammunition. So I'd be curious, too, if I was put in the room. But at the same time, I wouldn't walk up to, you know, a phallus and start staring at it and go, hmm, hmm. Yeah, that was a little... And she was touching it too. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of yeah. <laughs> but then again, but then again, in the beginning of the episode, we have a gigantic Eastern European lesbian kidnapping Lana. So, I mean, what are you gonna do? We don't know for sure that she's a lesbian just because she looks like you know the stereotypical butch. Oh, James, James, James. <laughs> what are you gonna do with me? Yeah. No, what, what I one of the things that that caught my attention was when uh what was what was the villain's name eli no uh evil? The, 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 the 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 terrorist guy the yeah, arms what, dealer what's his name it started with an e ah uh, shit i can't remember his name it doesn't matter but he puts lana in that uh, uh i, I want to call it a basket but i know that's not the right name for it but that thing that on the conveyor hub thing yeah and you can't see what he's doing you just see her like saying stop it or whatever she's saying and he's like reaching in there i mean obviously he's tying her up but mm-hmm. it's like if you close your eyes and just listen to what she's saying <laughs> it's like, wait, is he fondling her you know it, it, was, it was a little weird you know because if you put it all together what he's doing and you can't see her and the, what she's saying uh, i don't know and then and then yeah there's then later on she's playing with some giant rocket i don't know i don't know this this episode there's something going on in this episode oh, there's all kinds of weird things like the breast jokes the, yeah the yeah. lesbian the, the Every there's all kinds of <laughs> throughout. <laughs> uh, what else? What else about this one? I'm good. I mean, I'm, I I I I really really do dig this episode. All the the uh, sexual jokes aside, <laughs> it really it's a very passionate episode. It's a, it's a very it's kind of a, a sad episode in many ways. It's, it's like you said, especially because of that ending. Yeah, I mean, it is because. <sighs> After watching this episode, I want Lana and Clark to be together because she loves Clark. You know, Lois loves Superman. You can't deny that. That's who Lois loves. She's married to Clark, but she really does love Superman. But Lana, she loves Clark for who he is. Alien or not, superpowers or not, you know, this is the the, the farm boy that she grew up with all those years ago. And that's who she wants to be with. And that she can't have that is quite sad. And the fact that they were able to pull that off in, what, 22 minutes? Yeah. Just one episode? There's so much credit that has to be given to them for that. And I thought it was a great way to introduce the character because we get her again. She appears in uh, The Late Mr. Kent. And I think she appears in World's Finest, doesn't she? Lana? Yeah. I don't think so. Does she? Okay, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I know she has a couple more appearances down the line. Um, so I thought this was a good way to introduce her for her appearances uh, later on. Useless. Work. A joke. Careful, boss. I keep telling you guys, Inner Gang needs real armaments, weapons of mass destruction, and all I get are toys. 
What was that? Who are you? My name is Kanto, Mr. Mannheim. I've been authorized to offer you some assistance. By who? Start talking. Please, put away your so-called weapons. I can assure you they're quite unnecessary. I come bearing gifts. Next up is Tools of the Trade. In this episode, Bruno Mannheim is back as his, uh, as is his intergang. Um, after a failed gold heist, uh, a man named Kanto just arrives seemingly out of nowhere with this ridiculously advanced weaponry, which, you know, is far greater than anything on Earth. And he just gives all these weapons to, uh, intergang and Mannheim saying really only that the benefactor responsible for him giving all these tools and weapons to Mannheim will explain himself at a future time, basically whenever he fucking feels like mm-hmm. it. So Superman has to stop Intergang, who are now just as powerful, if not more so, than he is. Um, I think that about sums it up, doesn't it? Pretty much so. Um, I really... You know, this episode really isn't that good. I don't think so. What, what, do you like this one? I do, actually. But, I mean, I can definitely see there, there are plenty of things wrong with it. And I'm, I think I may have graded it too high. But um, it is an important episode in many ways that's, because of all the, the debuts that happen in this episode. I, that's what I was going to get at. I mean, it's an important episode because we get the debut of Turpin, of Sawyer. Of the new gods, you know, and, you know, in the form of Kanto, um, mm-hmm. in, and then we get Dark Side, fucking Dark Side, wow. But you know, if it weren't for that, okay, you know what this is for me? This off is balance. Like off balance, exactly. Where that episode, it's important because of who it introduced, but it really wasn't a good episode, and. That's kind of what's going on here. I'm not saying this episode is terrible. I'm not even saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's sort of there. And the only reason it's going to be memorable and people are going to point at it down the line and are going to rate it a little higher than maybe I think it should, and that's not a slight against you, James, um, is is because of all these debut, all these debuts, especially Dark Sides. But if, if you if you were to pretend like these characters have been introduced before, it's like I said, it's just average at best. It's just there. But that that's that's my take on it. Well um I th- I think the biggest at least at, at on the onset, the biggest gripe I have with it is Mannheim really didn't think his plan very far through if he didn't expect Superman to show up from a disturbance caused by a friggin' tank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he's like, it's like he's at, he's sitting there watching it on TV, and he's surprised, surprised that Superman is interfering. Yeah, it's like, it's like Superman saved you from a guy who was trying to kill you with toys. Toys. You don't think he's going to show up when you're robbing a bank or whatever with yeah, a the tank? gold reserve? Or yeah, the gold reserve, right? Yeah, with a fucking tank, dude, dude, grow some brain cells, please. <laughs> um. My biggest gripe with this one, honestly, is Darkseid. It is. While I understand Darkseid's plan, I get what he's trying to do here, 
I don't understand why he trusts Mannheim with all these weapons and the duty of destroying Superman. Why not well, give that to Metallo or Luthor or someone who just isn't a loser? I mean, why would you give that to a mob boss? I just don't understand why they wrote it that way. Do you, I mean... I like what they do with that. You know, what happens to Mannheim down the line, thanks to this uh, connection to Darkseid. But I just I just don't get Darkseid. I mean, Darkseid's a fucking alien god guy. And he's going to hand all this over to a mobster? Really? I, I don't know. I just what, what, Do you see where I'm coming from? Well, I do, but the, isn't that how it is in the comics? Inner Gang has always been in cahoots with Apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, that's where Intergang gets their weapons, but I don't, I don't know enough about the New Gods to know if it was Darkseid that was giving them the weapons, or if it was, like, one of Darkseid's agents. Like, if someone was doing something behind Darkseid's back. I don't know. I just, I mean, we'd have to get Dez on this. He's, he's the, like, fourth world Kirby buff. I'm just, like, whatever. I don't, I don't know, you know? Um, I think that's why I think that's basically why I kind of just overlooked it because that from what little I know about the new gods and inner gang is that inner gang is always intertwined with apocalypse's uh dealings or the dealings going on in apocalypse I should say. Yeah, I just you know speaking of this cartoon though I just don't get why again Darkseid would hand this much power over to someone who hasn't proven himself. Oh yeah, in and of itself I absolutely agree with you. It makes right. no sense whatsoever. Yeah, um, but I think that's really my biggest gripe with this one. I mean, there's other little things, but that I just I, since I can't wrap my head around that, that um, the episode kind of loses steam early on for me. But hey, we do get terrible Turpin. Exactly, we get Jack Kirby basically. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of this character? Well, see, I don't know much about him at, um, from the onset, but. Since I know what happens to him and how close a relationship he develops with Superman throughout this whole series and then how he he meets his untimely end, I thought it was a really good debut for him. It, it shows his character, you know, just how headstrong he is. And it was I, – I really liked how that uh, the reporter who's – Angela Chang – or Chen. Yeah. I, I can't remember. Is it Chen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how she just basically ribs him and – calls him a, basically calls him a loser yeah. on, on TV and he comes back around and basically saves Superman's life in the end of the episode mm-hmm. and it was nice to see Superman sticking up for him and saying look if it wasn't for this guy I wouldn't be standing here right now so you better show him some respect yeah and it was really really cool yeah I, I love what they did with Turpin here I'm not all that familiar with him from the comics um, that I will admit but in this cartoon, he is such a lovable character. I mean, he's that guy, and we all know someone like this. He's that guy that's a little brash, you know, a little headstrong, but he's going to do right by you. You know, despite his language, despite his kind of forceful attitude, he's a good guy at heart, and he just wants to help people. And I like the, I, I like how they injected that into this character um and and as you said it's 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 hard to talk about turpin without talking about the way he 
leaves us down yeah. the line. I mean, I don't want to get into that right now, but I, I you know, knowing that, knowing what's going to happen to the character and seeing how he was introduced, I think it was a strong beginning and a strong end, and he stayed consistent throughout. Because the way you see him here as this action hero in his own right is the same way he is when he dies in Apocalypse Now Part 2. He mm-hmm. dies being a hero, being a smart mouth, being that brash guy that he was. That's the way he lived his life, and that's how he died. You know, it's a shame that um, his mouth and his attitude cost him his life, but he went out a hero, and that's how he came into this cartoon. And it shows that the creators had a ton of respect for Jack Kirby by making this kind of, you know, what could have been just a background character into this very important role. They they, yep. they made this character so important to this cartoon. Yeah, and I would say certainly more important than they made Gordon mm-hmm. in Batman the Animated Series. you got a really good point there, you do. Um, now, while we're talking about Turpin, I want to bring something up about Sawyer. Um, is she wearing pants? I've always wondered that myself. She just wears this little trench coat thing, and I don't know what the hell she's wearing underneath it. Because sometimes I look at Mercy, and I'm like, is Mercy wearing pants? But if you look at Mercy's legs, they don't her the color on her legs don't match her skin tone. Well, she yeah, she's wearing stockings. So. Right, she's wearing something. But then here with Sawyer, I don't know if she has pants on. She has a coat, a shirt, and these like little boots. boots. <laughs> I don't know, but then in um, Two's a Crowd, the next one we'll talk about, it does look like she has pants on. The color of her legs looked a little different than her skin tone, but here, I don't think she's wearing pants. I don't mm-hmm. mind. I'm just saying. No, just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Not that she would go for me if I was in the DC Animated Universe, because Sawyer doesn't go for men, we'll say. No, not really. No, and that's something I actually... Jenny pointed that out to me. Um, while we were on holiday, we were watching um, uh, the Disney Channel... Uh, was it JetX? You know that channel I'm talking about, James? The Disney... Oh, I know the Disney Channel. Well, I've never heard of... Yeah, the... JetX is like... It's like a block of cartoons on one of the Disney channels. Oh, okay. Um, anyways, they, they air episodes of Superman. And they... While we were on vacation, we're flipping through the channels, and they start airing Apocalypse Now, part one and two. So I was like, oh, fuck, we gotta watch this. And, you know, Sawyer gets taken out, right? Pretty early on. I mean, she doesn't die, but she gets hurt. And in the hospital, there's a woman sitting on her bed, and she's, like, holding Maggie's hand and all this and that. And Jen's like, is that her girlfriend? I'm like, no, that's her sister. And the more I'm watching it, I'm like, wait, no! That's her girlfriend! Jenny was completely spot on. She caught it right away that Sawyer was supposed to be a lesbian. Mm-hmm. So, and if you listen to the commentary for this episode, they bring it up. They say in the commentary here that, um, you know, they didn't beat us over the heads with it, but, or beat us over our heads, I should say, but there are little hints throughout the series that she is a lesbian. That's how she's portrayed in the comic, and they wanted to bring that over here. And again, I give them credit for that, that they didn't try to really sugarcoat it. Um, they didn't make a big deal Overt. out of it. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I think that's the way it should be, you know? It's not like, I'm gay, yay, look at me. It's just like, no, I happen to like women, I'm a woman, and I know someone's going to clip that out and turn that into something. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I just see it now. As it was coming out of my mouth, I was thinking to myself, oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> Ian, it, paging Ian. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, what I said before, and then she's, you know, she's in a healthy relationship. That's all it is. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's and no need to make a big deal out of it. And everybody just accepts her for her who, who she is. There's no need to do this, that, and the other. And I think that's the way um, uh, the GLBT characters should be portrayed on television. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I don't mean to get on a soapbox here, um, but I'm going to. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't have episodes and shows where we see violence happening against uh, uh, people of that sexuality. But I don't want to see it in every show. I want to turn on t- the TV and, or open up a comic or a book and just see a character who's gay. And that's it. And they're in a stable relationship with their loving partner. And it's not a big deal. There aren't people going, oh, my God, you're gay. Yes, I'm gay. Woohoo! No. And so the fact that they did it here in a cartoon aimed for children, so much respect. I give so much respect to the creators here. Off my soapbox. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I agree on all counts. Absolutely. Um, I actually noticed uh, today on the forums uh, that you changed your avatar yes. to the gl- Superman in the shadows with the glowing red eyes from this episode. Yep. Which was really a great badass moment right there. Yeah, I mean, we actually get we get two shots of him in the shadows. Um, first, when he destroys the tank, he's standing on top of it, looking down at the two guys inside. His eyes aren't glowing, but he's in, you know, there's a shadow laid over him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, man, that's badass. I almost made that my avatar. And then, yeah, as I was watching the episode, there's just that shot of him in full shadow. You don't see anything but the glowing eyes. And I was like, oh, shit, that's my new avatar right there. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because you, you're, you're not really enamored with this episode. and you. Ch- <laughs> but, hey, you well, can't argue with it. It's a great, great uh, still scene. Right. I mean, the episode has its moments. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that right there is like the standout. Th- I mean, besides, you know, the first appearance of Darkseid. Um, that's, that's like the big thing for me, really, for this episode, that Superman is pissed off. Here's this little nobody, Mannheim, who's like a flea to Superman in terms of power. You know, Superman could take this guy out anytime he wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Mannheim's got this gun that could blow Superman's head off. It really could. It nearly does if it weren't for Turpin. And Superman's none too happy about that. Another moment I really liked was um, after Mannheim jumps through the boom tube. Mm-hmm. There's another There's another debut here, the boom tubes. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, uh when uh, Mannheim is walking behind Kanto through through the uh, 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 you know, chamber in Ap- Apocalypse, he's like, where in God's name are we? Mm-hmm. So Kanto goes, well, that depends. Which God are you talking about? <laughs> that line ruled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really did. And then we get then we get Darkseid. Oh, yeah. It's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's weird to say this of the character's debut, but I'm going to anyways. His voice was off. Yes, it was. It's one of those things where, okay, for the debut episode, it's fine. But when you hear and see the character later, his voice is different. I mean, I know it's Michael Ironside from start to finish. There's no one else that voices Darkseid in the DCAU. But if you listen to those later appearances, the voice does not match up with this one. This one, it's very different. It's, it's, it, it's rough. It's yeah. just, it, it's not smooth like his, his other performances are. No. And I, I, what I think is, what I, I have to guess happened is it was just a, they did several takes of it and there was just, maybe they were rushed and they just put out 
one they thought sounded okay? No, actually, if you listen to the commentary on this one, they, because I noticed the voice, I noticed that, and then I listened to the commentary, and they brought it up, and one of the things they said is that they, uh, I forget the technical term they used, but basically they played with it in post. They they added, like, a pitch to it. Like audio editing? Yeah, they did some audio editing to it, and even Tim and whoever else was on commentary with them were like, ooh, damn, we kind of screwed that up. <laughs> <laughs> they admitted that the voice wasn't where it should have been, and it didn't jive with what will come later. At least it was just one line. Right, yeah, yeah, right. But, it, I mean, it's still a cool voice. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh, God, Michael Ironside, uh, wow. Later on, when we see or when we hear his his portrayal of Darkseid, is just awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, like I said, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's just odd. It's just different hearing that voice, a different voice coming out of Darkseid. It even made me look up to see if Ironside was doing the voice in this brief little cameo. It did to me too. And yep. he sure as hell was the voice in this scene. So it, it really just boiled down to them playing with the audio a little too much. Um, now when it comes to the uh, apocalyptian weaponry. Um, I loved those gloves. I thought they were kind of Green Lantern-ish. Yeah. And Superman breaking that guy's hand? Ooh! Ooh, ouch! But I, I, what I loved about it, though, was how Superman, again, used his brain. He realized that if this guy had these gloves on and was doing things, causing these gloves to form out in front of him, that there could potentially be some feedback if Superman messed with the gloves. You know what I'm saying there? Mm-hmm. So Superman realized that if he just pulled the pinkies back a little, maybe the other guy, the, the the user's pinkies would become broken. And then we see the guy's hands just all ugh, just mangled. broken and mangled. I was like, man, <laughs> Soups, you fucked that guy up. And then Soup hit, Soups hits him, knocks him oh. across that factory. It's like, okay, that guy ain't going to be getting up ever again. <laughs> <laughs> You know, nope, nope, nope. It, it reminds me of something I forgot to mention in the, uh, in the, I think it was the previous episode. Yeah, in My Girl. When those guys were firing the gun, the guns in My Girl, they, there's one point where Superman's there, they're shooting it at him, and they shoot a log that he's holding, and Superman throws it, it lands on the ground, the guys start running, and the log explodes. And the, the blast sends the guy, they send, it sends two of the guys flying, and they both hit this wall face first. And, it's like, and they fall on their heads. Well, they hit the they hit the wall, and then yeah, they land. I think one might land on his head, and I'm like, "There's two more guys who aren't getting up ever again. They might still be breathing, but they're not walking." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Superman, little badass sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he was full on badass on mm-hmm. several occasions here. Mm-hmm. What I, one of the things I really did love about this one though was that little moment where. Uh, Soups or Clark, more accurately, just drops down that elevator shaft. Yes. And Lois is running out. She's like, gotta go, small villain. She's like blurting out what's going on with the train. And Clark just looks at that open elevator shaft and he's just like, hmm, and just steps into it. And this, again, goes back to the sound effects. It's just whoosh, and out the door, you know, down the shaft and out the revolving door is the, is the uh, blue and red streak. Mm-hmm. And just, we just, it's just all just a blur and the sound effect. It's like, that is so cool. That's what makes Superman a great character and i'm telling you the more i the more i watch this cartoon superman the animated series even on episodes like this that i'm not totally crazy about i'm starting to like this show more than batman yep Mm, 
I agree. I mean, it's there's there's a very clear continuity from episode to episode. Unlike Batman the Animated Series, where sometimes it was continuity from episode to episode, but for the most part, you could say you know the fifth episode you know could have easily taken place before the first. You know, the third episode maybe takes place after the 20th. You know, it, it doesn't really matter when you view them. But with Superman, it sort of matters how you view these. You know, if you want to watch them out of order, that's fine. But you, you are definitely going to miss something if you do it that way. So it is best if you watch them from start to finish here. Um I'm just getting a little more enjoyment out of these episodes so far. Who knows? Maybe if the series progresses, I'll be like, ew, yuck. But I don't think that's going to happen. I'm really starting to love this series more than I already did. Why should I help you? You're the one who put me here. Rudy, the whole city's in trouble. Tell somebody who cares. The bomb could blow up a huge area of Metropolis. What if that includes Stryker's Island? What if it does? Think I'd miss this life of mine? These four stinking walls? You want me to go into this guy's mind and try to find out where the bomb is? No skin off my nose, but I want something in return. What's that? Something to help the time go faster in this dump. And not a bunch of boring books, either. I want cable. And the premium channels. And lastly today, we have Choose a Crowd. In this one... There's a guy who used to work for Star Labs who goes by the name of Garver, and he has stolen an isotope from Star Labs, and he's made a bomb out of it. And if Metropolis doesn't pay him $50 million in, like, untraceable barabons or something, um, he's going to set this bomb off, and it will destroy one square mile of Metropolis. Um, there's only a four-hour timer on this, and Superman admits even he can't search the city fast enough. And even if... He could search the city fast enough. Who knows if he'd find it because the bomb is um, encased in lead. At least that's what um, Superman is told. Well, they they try to, in, in an attempt to stop Garver, uh, Superman accidentally puts Garver into a coma. And so here's the guy who knows where the bomb is. It's in a coma, and they don't know where the bomb is. So they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And Dr. Hamilton, the only way he can figure to get this information out of the unconscious Garver is by recruiting the parasite. And uh, so they want the parasite to touch Garver's unconscious head and extract the information, but something goes wrong, horribly wrong, and more than Garver's memories get into Rudy's uh, consciousness, it's all of Garver gets into Rudy. And so there ends up being this internal struggle inside the parasite as Superman is trying to um, ultimately... Uh, stop this bomb, uh, stop Garver, and save Rudy at the same time. I think that sums this one up pretty much. So what about this one? Ugh. Uh, I'm not, not exactly enamored with this episode. And I think my my dislike of this episode st uh, stems right from the very beginning. This guy's house is outfitted with weapons-grade lasers, bulletproof electrical walls, Gatling guns that come out of the mirrors, and a giant c compactor thing that comes out of the attic. He also claims he's, he's encased the bomb that he planted somewhere in Metropolis in lead, and on top of all of this, he planted booby traps inside a sunken ship on the ocean floor. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you forgot something. Oh, I probably did. What? What is it? You, I, I, maybe you mentioned it. I don't know. But the uh, the walls that could stop tanks. Oh, right, right, right. 
the, yeah, I, I don't know what kind of metal would do that, but they've got these, you know, battering ram tanks that get destroyed by the walls that this guy has in his house. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> he was stealing a little more than just this isotope from Star Labs along the way, Methinks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't think this is a terrible episode. I think I like this one a little better than you, but again, much like Tools of the Trade, I think this one is just sort of there, you know, mostly forgettable. Um, I mean, I like this one really only because of Rudy, the parasite. You know, I think I admitted I had a soft spot for that character, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Yeah. And it, a lot of it stems from this episode. I mean, when they ask Rudy for his assistant, he's like, yeah, but I have terms of my own. And they're like, oh, God, what do you want? I want TV, cable TV with the premium channels. And then <laughs> Sawyer, Hamilton, and Superman all look at each other like, the fuck? <laughs> this guy could ask for anything he wants, and all he wants is cable TV? Like, that's awesome. I mean, that just shows you who Rudy is. You know, he doesn't want to be the parasite. You know, he's in a bad situation, and he's just going to try to make the best out of it. And he's, he's a simple fellow, and I like that in the character. It's it's a little endearing, I think. And I think this episode goes a long way to show that Rudy still is a good guy, especially in those um, those scenes where we're inside his head, where he and Garver are fighting for control. You know, Rudy's like, just give yourself up. They'll go easy on you. It'll be cool. Don't worry about it. And Garver's like, you're a fool. We could have power, an everlasting power. You know, and then Garver tries taking over, and Rudy has to fight. He has to fight for his life, basically. And uh, I really dug that. I, I, I really did. Well, I thought it was kind of weird that in the last episode, uh, in Feeding Time, that he just, like, he was good, then he became bad. And now he's good again, and you know later on he'll be bad again. Yeah, it's like it's like they they just like switch his loyalty up, I guess for lack of a better word, or his his uh, uh his alignment, his good or evil alignment, so much. It's just it's psychotic. <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from with that, but like I said, the way he's portrayed just in this episode. Like I said, I, I, from the cable TV thing to try that to convince, I did I know I, I got a good laugh at right. that it was funny to trying to convince Garver you know just to give himself up to the end where he's just laying on on his cot just <laughs> laughing 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 at whatever he's watching on TV as Garver's being taken away to his room with four walls that's it that's all that guy's ever gonna get because he didn't cooperate but because the parasite did sure he gets his TV you know mm-hmm. um, though I have to wonder. Okay, I know it happened, you know, off-screen, off-panel, so to speak. But last we saw Parasite, he was basically a shell of himself. So how did he get better? Last we saw him, remember, he was just sitting there and he zapped a cockroach. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's talkative, he's himself again. You know, what happened? I, I don't need all the gaps filled in, but I would have liked a little something. Where they just simply said, I don't know, oh, Rudy's himself again. Just, just a well, something like that. The only thing I could think of is that maybe, like they were explaining in Feeding Time, how everything everything he absorbs is temporary. Uh, maybe him absorbing the kryptonite was temporary, too, and his memory just returned. 
you got a point there. Okay, sure, sure, sure. I see where you're coming from. Okay. I think the what saved this episode for me it was the animation and the voice acting. Uh, Brian Cox, uh, I love him. <laughs> I, I kept think I kept uh, envisioning William Stryker from X Two mm-hmm. because uh, he's not a guy I would think that would just you know pick up voice acting uh, really well, but then. Here he goes. He, he, I, th- as much as I dislike the character of Earl Garber, uh, you know, he did a great job with what he, what he had, and he plays a great villain. He really does. He he's a guy that you he'll get you to hate the character immediately. But yeah, and then the first thing I was saying, the animation in this episode is absolutely fantastic. It, it to this point, it may be the best because it was pretty much solid from start to finish. Uh, that explosion at the end of the episode yeah. was amazing. The fire it effects was, and then it hitting the oh, yeah. and it pouring down. Yeah. And the fight scenes were really crisp, really, really just amazing to look at. Mm. Um, I think really the animation just came to a, a pinnacle in that final scene in the subway. Yeah. So I was really, really digging the animation. It was just spot on perfect in this episode. Yeah, as the, as the ship was uh sinking there um and maggie was like slipping down beneath the all the rubble and everything just watching that i was like oh my god like i i knew superman was gonna save her but for a brief instant i was like maybe he's not i mean i i I felt like the walls closing in, so to speak. I could put myself in her shoes and I could feel my anxiety rising. And that's all attributed to how well that scene was animated. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're talking about the ship, though, I do want to say I'm not entirely sure Garver booby trapped that thing. Because we never see a bomb go off in it. I thought it just shifted on the sediment. What- I, th- I thought I remember the walls, like, Maybe not, maybe glowing or no, like so. on the left side, like God. I wish I, I. I guess I'm just gonna have to go back and watch. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe. But I, th- I thought I heard like some kind of uh, explosion, like muffled by the water. Maybe. It, be, but I don't know. I don't. Maybe it did. I mean, I, I think your points from earlier are very valid. But the one about the the ship, I'm like, I'm not so sure. I, I really thought that was just nature taking its course just the the seafloor shifting and the ship falling over but uh okay well then then my new gripe is that he he magically knew when the uh the tectonic plate was going to shift <laughs> below that below that ship and uh that he planned for them to go down there at that, at that exact moment there you go i'll give you that one <laughs> you know if, if, if we're on gripes right here i want to go back to the very beginning you know the tank tries to enter the house with its battering ram nothing happens so then the SCU runs up with their laser handguns. A tank doesn't do shit, but they're going to try to shoot at these at these walls. You know what I'm saying? And with handguns, uh-huh. not bazookas, rocket launchers, grenades, you know, nuclear missiles or anything, laser <laughs> handguns. We're just going to shoot at it. I mean, it's like, what? Come on, people. It should have been the other way. Handguns first, then the tank. <laughs> because that would have been better for Turpin to be like, all right, let's bring in the tank. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. 
I like I liked how this one started out in that regard because uh, Maggie's sitting there and she's like, "Okay, Turpin, let's try it your way." And he's like, "All right." He's like all enthusiastic about getting to bring in a tank. But you're right; it would have been so much better if it was like Maggie tries it with the guns. Like I don't know, her, her guys run up to the house and the guns start firing, so they start shooting back. Nothing's happening, and then they bring in the tank, and Turpin's like, "Yeah, the tank." You know, <laughs> logically, it doesn't make sense to go from a tank to handguns. Tank handguns doesn't work. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, the de- all the detectives pointing their guns at the bo- at the Riddler bomb or the Riddler box. <laughs> Let's shoot the bomb. That's smart. <laughs> As Batman looks back at them, like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> That's what I wanted Superman to do is just like fly down on the scene as they're doing this and like just look at Maggie and like what's going on? Yeah, like, you, what is wrong with you? Why are you shooting this house when that tank is clearly broken because it couldn't get in? <laughs> Though I did like Superman again using his brain to overcome the traps. He busts through the outside wall and he tries to do it with the second wall, but he can't because it's electrified. So what's he do? He throws the door that he just broke through through the other wall. Again, him using his brain. Yeah, I mean, he's using strength, but he had to think about how to get through there. Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what I also liked about that scene, uh, there were two things. Superman's using his supervision, you know, to look around the house, and those bright lights come on. And it shows you how Superman can be affected by normal light if he's using his supervision. It'd sort of be like if we were wearing night vision goggles in a darkened room and someone flicked on the lights. Oh, yeah. That's what happened to Superman there. He's pained by those lights coming on while he's in that mode. The other thing is when that press comes down on top of him and he's lifting it back up, it, of course, reminded me of the train sequence from a couple episodes ago because Mm -hmm. he's having trouble with it. But what I appreciated more was um, Garver's shock at Superman's strength. I mean, everybody in Metropolis by this point knows how strong Superman is, that he can take bullets to the chest, that he's faster than a speeding bullet, all this and that. But they're still not entirely sure of how strong he is because you see him struggle with things from time to time. And here was another example where he was struggling, but he overcame it. And as he's overcoming it, Garver is just, his mind's blown. Like, I can't believe Superman just bench-pressed a billion tons or something, you know? Um, So I, I like it when I see characters that are still impressed and still scared by him, especially the villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I just wish I knew how a uh, an addict could hold that gargantuan <laughs> thing up, but I know. again, he was I, whatever. <laughs> he was stealing a lot of stuff from Star Labs, you know. I I, I don't know. I, I don't even know why I'm justifying it. It's not like I gave this episode a ten, you know. <laughs> but I find myself wanting to justify it. I don't know. And and I love how Garver in his when um or when he as as the parasite is calling Maggie and Superman and he's he's like go to the old subway extension. And I'm thinking to myself, "Oh yeah, that narrows it right down." Yeah. <laughs> There's only one in in Metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Um now here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. When they bring the parasite in to touch Garver, you know, they've got him restrained, not not unlike uh Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. And they've got his right hand in uh basically a a box, so he can't touch anybody. But not his left hand. Only his right hand was contained. Why? Good question. At first I started thinking, oh, maybe he can only absorb by using his right hand, even though that was inconsistent with what we saw in his first appearance. 
But then later on, when Superman deactivates, initially deactivates the bomb, and uh, the parasite being controlled by Garver, I think it was, it had to be Garver, yeah, comes up through the, 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 the mud and grabs Superman to start absorbing him, he grabs him with his left hand, which is the hand that wasn't restrained before. Right. So why weren't both of his hands boxed up? I just didn't get it. I'm like, if you touch this guy's cheek, he's going to absorb energy from you. So why only one hand? That was just so weird. It it was uh, an oversight. It was. It absolutely was. You know, it's didn't think about it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that we'd see another suit that Star Labs would have for Superman. And in this one, how convenient that Star Labs just happens to have a scuba suit standing by the S on it and everything for Superman. Like, what's up with that? In purple, black, and yellow. And blue. Mm -hmm. What a nice toy that would make. Hmm. Deep sea colors. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't... I didn't even think about that, but you're right. <laughs> I, I don't mind the fact that they were going to make toys out of this. This cartoon is geared, was geared, whatever, towards children. I get it, but it's just one of those things like, they've done such a good job of introducing suits before, where we saw the lead suit and Superman's astronaut suits hanging on the walls, you know? So when they appeared later, when he actually used them down the line, it made sense. We saw them. But just all of a sudden, for there to be a scuba suit at the ready with the emblem, I don't know. It just it, it just reeked of, you know, shilling a new toy. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I have to say, like I said, in that explosion, I love that explosion and the animation in it. But I think maybe the, the look on Parasite's face was even better as it was as the flames were coming up towards him. He just, he looks down and he's like, ooh. <laughs> Obviously, I can't, I can't give you a facial expression here. You've got to see it yeah. because it's absolutely hysterical. Yeah, and I, I love what happens to him. I mean, Superman, he can't fly out because his, his powers have been drained a little. So he just kind of leapfrogs out. But mm-hmm. Parasite gets caught in the blast and he just comes flying out, just, just tumbling end over end. I'm like, that this is- mushroom cloud just <laughs> launches him across the subway station. I'm like, I'm like, oh. Rudy, poor Rudy. I mean, I don't feel bad for Garver, but, you know, Rudy, oh, poor guy. <laughs> and then he's all all well and good with his HBO and his Showtime <laughs> and his Cinemax and whatever else he's watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I'm not going to claim this is a great one, but it's it's really just because of Rudy, because of the, you know, the, the simpleness of that character. This one's this one's just sort of fun for me. Um, but anyways, that aside, is there anything else you want to say about this one before we move on to our scores? No, I'm all right. Let's move on to the scores. Okay, so what do you give the main man? Much like I did with uh, A Bullet for Bullock, I I give this the sentimental 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It was just nonstop fun from start to finish. You know, I'm struggling. I want to give it a 10. I have a 9 in my notes. I'm going back and forth. It gets a 10. It does. It absolutely does. Let me scroll that old score out, write my new score in. Okay, so hey, our first, not only is it our first, you know, the first time either one of us is giving a 10, it's the first time we're both giving a 10 for a Superman episode. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. So, okay, my girl, what do you give this one? Um, I give that one an 8. I am in agreement with you. Uh, let's see, Tools of the Trade, this one I'm interested in. Tools of the Trade, I gave a 7. 
seven, but you were all like... See, I did, I as I listened to some of your uh, complaints about the episode, I was like, yeah, I, I can kind of see that. So I did, I actually had it as an eight, and I bumped it down. Okay, that one's going to get a six from me, and two's a crowd. Two's a crowd. Uh, this one, again, this is a, I go the opposite way. I was, I, did, I had this graded as a five mm-hmm. on, on the onset, but I'm going to bump it up to a six. And just like you... I'm giving this one a six. Again, as I said just a few minutes ago, fun, but still, it's just sort of there. I'm confused, Kent. See, I've lived in Metropolis most of my life, and I can't figure out how some yokel from Smallville is suddenly getting every hot story in town. Well, Lois, the truth is I'm actually Superman in disguise, and I only pretend to be a journalist in order to hear about disasters as they happen and then squeeze you out of the byline. You're a sick man, Kent. You asked. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And please don't forget to leave us feedback on iTunes. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Superman the Animated Series, those being Blast from the Past, The Promethean, Speed Demons, Livewire, and Identity Crisis. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 